This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. This is on Letterboxd. Yeah, because yeah, I'm not on Twitter, basically. You're off of Twitter. Oh, it's good for you, but I'm man. Not on Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm still on Twitter, and you can find me at I am Mike White because I am Mike White. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic via genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today uh, on this very special annual episode that we do are my two co-hosts, Mike and Tiny. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tiny. Hey. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. Good. Great. Nice. Great. I am am the embodiment of that meme of the dog where (laughs) it used to be everything was on fire, and he says, this is fine, but now he's just sitting there. And the house is not on fire, and this is fine. It's just like this is fine. Things <laughs> um, are fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, excited for this episode. This is our yearly year in review episode. Um, I've got to say this is going to be an interesting conversation because <laughs> I fucking hated 2020 so much. Like that. That seems kind of. I don't know. Maybe hacky or. Uh, like it seems like the thing to say or whatever, but like, I, I, I didn't have a good year. Just, I mean, I don't think anyone did, but right. like it just, it, everything sucked. So Jeff Bezos yeah. had a good year. He had a good year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think what I've said to a lot of people when they've asked if they've, if they've asked is like, I don't know, like personally and creatively, um, kind of getting to be home a lot wasn't that terrible. I got a lot of stuff done like hobby wise and personal wise, but uh, on the flip side, I also like pushed uh, my friends and family away. Mm. Just like I really was, I, I used staying home all the time as an excuse to like not talk to people or I would like, take too long to answer texts. I was just not a very communicative friend. Uh, mostly because I just, I was like, I got so tired of talking about everything. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, you def- you definitely need like a, a reprieve from it and everything, especially months and months into the uh, the weirdness of 2020. So, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, I just naturally push everyone away anyway. So it was, I mean, I was at home. <laughs> I was very yeah, comfortable true. in 2020. That's um, true. Yeah. But no, it's funny because like my, when I, when I got COVID, my bro- I texted my brother and told him and then he was like, yeah, like how you don't leave? Like what, like how did you get it? I'm like, I fucking don't know. Yeah. The cat. But yeah, the cat. Oh God. Cat. Yeah. She, I mean, worth it. Worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Of the three of us, I'm the only one that hasn't had it. Yeah. 
Do we want to yeah. say that out loud, Mike? Are we violating your HIPAA privileges? No. Okay. No, I had it. That's okay. fine. Okay. That's a positive. It's no secret. Hmm. And Fekus had it as well. Um, mm-hmm. Ben and Kirsten did not get it either. So, yeah. uh, out of the entire Obsessive Viewer team, uh, we're uh, 50%. 50-50. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. Well, I'll give it time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I keep saying, uh, but I have no idea how I haven't got it yet. Well, yeah. You also have to consider, We're by the way, guys, we're recording this January 21st, uh, 2021, a little late to the game for the year in review episode, but that's kind of our MO in the last few years. Mm-hmm. But you got to keep in mind that the pandemic ended January 1st um, and everything went back to normal because 2020 was over with. And then now that Biden's president, everything is just magically fine. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I like beat you to, I, like, <laughs> I didn't realize that's the joke you were going mm. to. And was trying to make the same one. Yeah, now it feels like a new year. Yeah. Today's yeah. New Year's. Right. Yeah. Um, so just an introduction for our listeners and everything, if anyone is just happening to plug into just this episode. We are a movie and TV podcast, as I said at the top of the episode. And this is the episode that we do once per year where we just kind of talk about the year in movies and how we consumed movies and the stats involved and everything. And... In years past, we would do that by uh, just like obsessively, no pun intended, compiling our notes and compile like like physically and manually compiling our lists of movies that we watched and everything. But uh, we, for the last several years, have been using Letterboxd, which is an amazing uh, like social uh, network thing for movie lovers. And so we, all three, we use uh, Letterboxd as a diary for our movie watching, and you can have lists and stuff. It's really great. And with the pro membership or patron membership, which I'm, I, I have, um, you can get um, stats and everything, and that's where we'll likely, at least I'll be using for my stats in this episode. So just a plug, check out Letterboxd. It's amazing. And follow all of us um, at our respective handles that were set at the top of the episode. So yeah, um, how was your guys' 2020 in terms of movies overall? And uh, yeah, how was, how was everyone's years? <laughs> well, do you mind if I start? Oh, go right ahead. It was by far my most successful movie year. Wow. And I, and I feel, I will say... There is a little bit of guilt admitting that because mm-hmm. this was a very difficult year mm-hmm. um, to all varying degrees to just about everybody. It was a mm-hmm. difficult year. And I really don't want to make light of the challenges that people faced. Mm-hmm. I, I know people were out of work. I know people got sick. Personally, I know people who got sick. And and also the real tragedy is is how many lives were lost through all of this. So yeah. please know that I don't, I don't mean to take any of that lightly whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but we were inside all the time. I tested positive for COVID and missed a week of work and I had surgery on my nose, uh, which pretty much laid me up in bed for another week. Mm -hmm. I watched a ton of movies. I blew out of the water. My highest movie year ever. Now, I uh, have a question for you on that, and we'll get to sure. the stats, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty here in a bit, but 
when okay so in terms of blowing out your movie watching for the year and and just exceeding your personal um uh records and everything do you see that as how much of that is due to having just an abundance of downtime because of like all of the things that happened in 2020 and mm-hmm. was there any uh, compared to if there was any part of that that surge in viewing that was for comfort reasons like did you like recede to movie watching as a kind of escape from like all of the shitstorm of 2020 interesting that's a good question and i and i think that that's fair to presume presume mm. but not really okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm again man i don't i don't want to like pretend like i'm above it or or uh, you know didn't didn't suffer through it but mm. i'm i'm pretty good at like compartmentalizing um i don't know maybe 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 the depression from covid will hit me later mm. but i it it wasn't it wasn't like a safety net more than anything. It was, um, well, obsessive. Mm -hmm. And it, and it was like, uh, I would say around June ish when I had my surgery and there was like a day, there was like two days where I watched seven movies. I was like, man, this year is I'm watching so many movies. What if I, (laughs) what if I start? And so like by mid June, I was like, crunching numbers mm-hmm. to see how many I needed to watch <laughs> to hit my biggest year. I remember so that. <laughs> I, rather than funny enough, one of the things we love to do on this podcast, if you're new to the show is talk about our mental health and mm-hmm. our various maladies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, di- I didn't really have the depression, but what I do have is, is uh, some obsessive tendencies. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that there was a number I could hit, Achieving that number became like thing number one in my life. Interesting. And so, just like I said, uh, obsessively crunching that. Like if I, I, if I go low in October, that I'm gonna watch 31. So I would take that out and be like, okay, that leaves five months left. If I want to hit this number, how many do I need per month? And then I would like keep track on the daily, like percentage wise, where I was at each one. It was, it was something. That, it was obsessive, for sure. That's amazing because what I have found for me is that I have had, I've adopted that type of approach to things myself, but it's mostly just podcast stuff. Like if I, if I, yeah. like, I have like on my whiteboard, I have uh, just a, like I have separated by uh, different areas and stuff i have just a list of about 40 or 45 episodes just of tower junkies that i want to try to get done in 2021 uh, wow yeah Damn. so so yeah i don't know why i'm yeah. focusing so much on tower junkies but yeah uh, well i think the thing well why not uh, the the thing for me this year like i said during my surgery when i started watching like some of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. right? Which I might've talked about on a previous episode, just like instead of watching new stuff and old horror movies I'd never seen before, I was like, I haven't seen that thing you do in a couple of years. So right. I'm going to watch that or face off or Rockstar or whatever. And, and going through those as like, well, I guess like comfort movies mm-hmm. um, really helped with the numbers. Nice. Nice. Um, 
cool. So overall, your year was, it sounds like it was pretty... I mean, aside from COVID. Yeah. <laughs> against all odds, it was not horrible, for the, I guess. Right. For the purposes of this podcast, yeah. it was extremely successful. Okay. Nice. Uh, Tiny, how was your 2020? Um, in terms of the podcast and movie watching, <laughs> was not good at all. Um, <laughs> kind of the polar opposite of Mike. Um, uh, the wife and I really dove into television this over the last year. Um, just to name off some huge shows we watched, we watched all of Big Bang Theory. We watched all of Modern Family. We watched all of Friends. And <laughs> wow. we've watched most of Seinfeld. Wow. So, I mean, that that dictated a lot of the year. Um, not to mention all the new shows that came out that we binged and, mm-hmm. and watched. Um, so huh. we really just dove into TV this year. And, and I think part of it was the fact that so many releases were being pushed yeah. to other to next year or two years from now, or um, some stuff was just dumped on VOD and stuff like that. Um, I I just wasn't very enthused about film this year, mm-hmm. uh, and and it was partially a mental thing where I just sort of I almost shut off that part of my brain, um, trying to seek out new movies because um, that's something I would do in the past. You know, just yeah. let's just cruise around VOD and see what's new mm-hmm. and. I was so I did that up until probably March, April, May even, and mm-hmm. was disappointed by the results. And so yeah. I just kind of gave up halfway through the year and didn't even really care. Interesting. Funny enough, you talk about that thing you do in your brain with movies. That's kind of how I am with TV. Mm-hmm. I I just like turn that switch off mentally. Okay. Like I talk about um, as as big a fan of Star Wars as I am. Like, as huge a part of my identity as Star Wars is, like, I haven't even finished The Mandalorian. Mm. I'm not even sure I finished the first season. And the fact that I'm not sure, I think, is also telling. That's crazy. Yeah. um, We don't don't have to get into it or anything, but did you catch wind of, like, anything that happened in season two? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's Uh, bad for you. That sucks. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, but I have negative feelings about star Wars in general. So it's a miracle that I even tolerate the Mandalorian the way that I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause it's genuinely good, but that's interesting tiny about focusing on TV. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, should, should I do mine? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so in terms of my year, like just in general, personal and health wise and, uh, everything wise, just like I it just had a shitty year. It sucked. But, the in terms of like movie watching i didn't i didn't take to watching movies as comfort as much as i would think that i would have like at the start of the pandemic i just did a run of episodes of the podcast where like since i was just sheltering in place and just quarantining at home i just did like extended potpourri uh, episodes that i just talked about the stuff that i was watching and stuff and that was fun but then it kept going <laughs> And it didn't stop. So uh, that kind of, I eventually just like transitioned to the podcasting being more like normal, even though it's not the normal thing. But something that kind of interestingly came up was that a kind of interesting comfort that I found in 2020 was just doing the podcast and doing like branching off the like having all the recurring co-hosts and everything, but having one-on-one episodes with each one um, 
and usually reviewing like two movies at a time. Um, that's something that just I felt I feel like 2020 and all of its crappiness and everything kind of spurred the podcast to change slightly in just the overall format just in it kind of was just a gradual thing and i'm i'm happy with the with what we're doing and how we've uh done it throughout the throughout 2020 so we'll see what 2021 brings but but yeah uh yeah a crappy year and in terms of movie watching i was fine um like i my numbers were pretty good. My numbers were actually very good compared to previous years, uh, with the exception of a couple years ago when I was insane. Um, but like, there's a, just a big difference between not being able to see dozens of movies in the theater versus seeing like a massive amount of movies at home. Like, it's just there's there is a distinct difference. So it kind absolutely of, yeah it puts just this. Um, <coughs> It puts this over, like this, this shadow over the year in terms of my movie stats. Like, it's just like, okay, I know that I watched like X number of movies in the theater, and the last movie I saw in the theater was March 11th. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I'll just say right now, I I know that we haven't gotten the stats yet, but I saw 13 movies in theaters in 2020, and I I average 70. Yeah, me too. I, I so even though my biggest number year ever, mm-hmm. it excludes any, well, all but 13 theater viewings. It's yeah. kind of hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And I agree, as much as I love watching my old favorites and crappy horror movies on Shudder, mm-hmm. uh, I miss the theater so much. Me too. And, Me. you know, getting excited for a movie. Mm-hmm. Me too. Do you count drive-in as theater viewings? You do, right? I only saw one, okay. and I generally do, yeah. Okay, good. Um, I saw maybe I, – I, honestly, I don't even think I compiled that stat um, because it's so depressing. But I think I saw 11 movies in the theater plus two at the drive-in. Yeah, um, I saw Scream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw Vertigo and Rear Window, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, so – yeah, so 2020 sucked. Um, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's bid it adieu and uh, do our episode and kind of go forward, I guess. Uh, get to the numbers. Well, before we do that, Mike, uh, I do. We huh? Got stuff. Oh yes. Well, I wanted to just give you a a, a chance to just uh, talk about your Patreon and uh, the and and do you want to talk about like your and Kevin's thing too? Absolutely. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about this stuff. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I have a lot of hobbies on the side. Uh, I have mentioned before, but I'll mention again, my band, As Good As It Gets. We are currently on a COVID-induced hiatus. It's not like a break or a breakup Mm -hmm. or anything. We're just, we can't get together to finish the record (laughs) that we started in March. Uh, So I have kind of taken it upon myself to uh, record uh, songs for our Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash as good as it gets, uh, there's a $1 option, which is just like a newsletter. And you're basically just saying, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but for the $3, you get a monthly acoustic song, uh, that I record new here at my home studio. And generally it's like a redo of one of my old songs. So like an old one from like 2004, that my band, who Dustin is my my current partner, was also in that band. 
that we wrote when we were kids and I redo it and it's acoustic-y and it's a little more folky uh, and we put that stuff out and sometimes I'll take one that was done acoustically and then I'll I'll turn it into an electric song and um, throw some other goodies in there. Next month I'm going to do two songs. I'm going to do a cover song and another exclusive song. So uh, that is kind of my main thing going right now while I work on other music. I also have my YouTube channel which we just reached 100 subs. So nice. now we have a custom URL. So you can just go to youtube.com slash as good as it gets nice. uh, to follow us on YouTube. And then uh, the other thing I've got going on is my brother and I started a video podcast where we watch our old home movies uh, and kind of do commentary on those. And it's kind of like... You probably wouldn't care too much about watching our old home videos, but uh, you know the our, the themes of nostalgia, and we kind of we kind of set uh, the home movies in context to kind of talk about the '80s and '90s as as we lived them. Uh, so it's just kind of a fun nostalgia thing. It's a way for my brother and I to get together. So that's called "That's My Brother" on YouTube. You can just look that one up, uh, and then "As Good as It Gets" is uh, the band. That's awesome. I love the title of that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so you. Great. I love it's it. From, uh, it's from Catcher in the Rye. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Holden goes to the museum and there's the two boys there and he's like, what about your friend? Doesn't he talk? And he goes, he ain't my friend. That's my brother. Huh. Hmm. Nice. It's, I haven't read Catcher in the Rye since I was a sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a big fan, That's actually, of the book. That's fair. I read it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was more outfield. Um, yeah. Um, okay. so, really? Yeah. <laughs> Get it, <laughs> guys. Um, so yeah, cool. Well, check out Mike's stuff. Um, super. Um, excited to see what you uh have cooking in the new year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stay around for the end of this episode, yes. uh, and you can get uh, a snippet of the the January song. It's called "Apathy Is the Key to Success." If you ask me, which I wrote when I was fourteen years old, and I re-recorded it just the other day when I was thirty-four years old. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, another question about twenty twenty and everything. Do you find yourself writing more in terms of like? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The next, uh, the next record that we do, uh, is going to be very, very quarantine inspired. Some, Mm -hmm. uh, some darker lyrics, uh, pretty excited about it, but yeah. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. Um, and tiny, when are you starting a a music band? (laughs) Oh God, I am not a musician at all. So you would hate it. (laughs) Same here. Um, all right, great. So let's go into our statistics. Um, yeah, our viewing and letterbox stats uh, for the year. Mike, do you want to get us kicked off with yours, or do you want do you want us to save you for last since you had uh, a, a big year for you? Uh, no, I can go. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, you should go last. You're the main. You are the. You are at obsessive viewer. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I just. <laughs> I wasn't fishing for that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, I'll, so I'll do my I'll do my stats. So, like I said, this was my biggest year ever. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. So I watched an unbelievable 283 movies. My current high was 240, and that was in the year I believe 2011. Oh. Uh, and so my new high is now 40. Three extra movies I was able to watch last year. That's 490 hours of movies. Um, 
That's 23.6 movies per month and 5.4 per day. So that's a lot of movies per week. Obviously, not obviously. I don't know why that would be obvious to you, but (laughs) my most common day uh, to watch a movie was Tuesday. uh, And that's generally because I do a double feature every Tuesday at home. The first movie I watched in 2020 was Uncut Gems, uh, which I didn't I didn't see until January 2nd, mm-hmm. funny enough. Uh, and then the last movie I watched was uh, Scare Me, which is a Shudder original, uh, which is pretty interesting, but not great enough that I'll give it a review here. Okay. I don't re-watch a whole lot of movies, so my most watched movies are not impressive. There's like seven or so that I watched twice, um, namely Freddy vs. Jason. Mm. Um, I watched, and then a couple from my top ten I watched. My my most common genre is horror, followed by thriller. Uh, far and away, the the biggest genre. Whenever I'm, whenever if I'm not at the theater or currently watching a favorite, um, I I try to seek out horror movies. So, nice. and then followed by drama and, and comedy. My wife and I like to watch comedies uh, together. So. Uh, 26 of my 283 movies were 2020 releases. So like I said, a lot of favorites. Mm -hmm. And then the majority of them actually, 150, which is 53% of them were rewatches from the year. Uh, My most common uh, actor, or I guess the star I watched the most is Samuel L. Jackson. And that's because I did not only a Quentin Tarantino mini rewatch, mm. but I also did like a back half of the Avengers mini rewatch, which nice. he's obviously Sweet. in a lot. Of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I watched seven Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, so he is my most common director. I also watched the Batman trilogy and Inception and I don't remember what else I watched, but Christopher Nolan is my second most common director with five. I would rather not say who the producer is at number one. Mm. Uh, and you can probably guess from context. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's it. I'll, I'll kind of say, so those are my stats. Um, some of my favorite like experiences of the year before I get into top tens. Well, um, do you I, mind? I want to kind of circle back and go back to your stats real quick because sure. you said yeah, yeah, yeah. your previous high year was 2011 with 240. How many? Either 240 or 241. Okay. I think it's 240. And I just want to ask, like, for context, because in 2011 you weren't married, you didn't have kids. Um, what was your yeah. life like in that time to get was, into that much? Yeah, I was extremely single mm-hmm. for the most of that for most of that year. Um, okay. I so I started dating my wife in October 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I was like single and tired of being single. Yeah. So I sat around and just watched a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. I, like I remember weekends where like my friend and roommate would go out and do stuff. And I'd be like, all right, I guess I'll just watch three movies today. Okay. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And that's interesting that, yeah. And we've already talked about the year and everything, but it's just interesting that, um, you, I mean, you're now married, you have kids and obviously Mm -hmm. your time 
in theory should be you know much much uh much more precious but <laughs> i assume because of you know the pandemic and everything about 2020 um yeah uh it allowed you well, to get yeah to- we um our boys go to bed pretty early mm-hmm. they go to bed at 6 30 uh at night and i don't go to bed till 9 30 or 10 so depending on the night that's kind of like my thing to do at night and in the summer uh well the summer and from you know march because school was canceled mm-hmm. during like nap time quiet time for the boys i would also watch a movie nice hmm. nice um yeah so uh, so yeah i just wanted to put that uh context out there um so yeah, any other stats and, and viewing experiences and everything? No, uh, no other stats that I think are really worth mentioning. Uh, I, I, you know, usually here is where we hit on like uh, theater viewings mm. and you know that kind of stuff, but there just wasn't any. So um, yeah, I didn't even do like a top ten horror. I watched just a ton of. A ton of old movies, a ton of my favorites. Um, but probably the coolest thing was getting that Friday the 13th box set. Oh, yeah. Which Matt and I did an episode mm-hmm. uh, on my birthday, so I won't go into too much detail. But yeah. like sitting down and watching those again was really something to be excited over. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly because I think I moved part two like up to my number one. I was really surprised oh, wow. by how... Yeah. How, how much I took to that. Um, and we didn't really do like a Shocktober mm. episode. No. I don't have my stats on hand for that, but I watched a ton in October as well because that is when I tested positive for COVID. So uh, something like yeah. 45, I think. I don't know. Hmm. A lot. Nice. Hmm. Very nice. So that's my, those are my numbers. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, tiny. Do you want to share your viewing stats for 2020? I will, such as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, 110 total viewings, uh, which I had 122 last year. My most ever was 2014. I had 366. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Thinking back to that is silly. That's um, insane. I, I think this is my lowest viewings ever. If you look at my letterbox and looking back at my letterbox, which Matt so graciously added a bunch of our <laughs> previous years in there, because uh, he's he's nuts. Yeah. Um, if you look at a few of them, like I think 2009, I have like 106 viewings, and 2010 is like 109 or something like that. I'm almost positive those are the two years where I have incomplete data. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm almost certain this is my least amount of viewings since 2008, probably where I didn't before I started tracking my stats uh so yeah not not good in that regard um that it's about nine movies a month average two movies a week uh one of the more shocking statistics i had zero theater viewings not one yeah because i was not excited by anything in Mm -hmm. january february or march and stuff was getting pushed and so i didn't make it out to the theater and then the theaters closed so that was that so zero theater viewings Damn. Uh, yeah. Most watched genre was drama with 43, so almost half. And mm-hmm. least watched genre was history with 10. Um, of the films that came out in 2020, so 2020 releases, I only had 22 viewings. Okay. 
which uh, I was hoping to be a lot more than that. But that's uh, honestly more than I expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. kind of surprised, but I feel like there's. Uh, I feel like my top ten should be honorable mentions, and I should have a whole other slate of top ten uh, movies. Yeah. That's, that's how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then uh, so we watched all of the. Uh, Harry Potter movies, the wife and I. So my most watched actor was Alan Rickman. Most watched, most watched director was David Yates, uh, for that reason. But we also watched, um, uh, there were two, two other movies with Alan, Alan Rickman, ironically, uh, Love Actually and, um, Paige had never seen Die Hard. Oh, wow. So okay. We, wa- we watched Die Hard on a whim. Nice. Uh, so I watched Alan Rickman, I think 10 times this year. <laughs> Because oh, of the awesome. eight Harry Potter movies and then those two, so oh, nice, that's funny. Nice. Um, a ve- probably one of the saddest statistics I've ever said on the podcast or ever compiled for myself of my top ten movies, which we're not getting to. I'm not going to list them, but I'm saying my mm-hmm. top ten movies, all but one of them, I watched completely alone. Oh wow! Oh, interesting. Because no theater, right? Nothing in oh, theater. Yeah. And then a lot of them were just movies that I know my wife would not be interested in, mm-hmm. and yeah, social distancing from all friends and family. So I didn't watch anything Damn. with friends and family. Uh, just one movie I watched with my wife. That was it of wow. my top ten. So um, those are the statistics I compiled. Um, nice. I didn't go crazy. I know my most my most watched most common day for watching a movie was Saturday, mm-hmm. which isn't a surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some other stuff I could have pulled, but it was just such a such a bummer year for movie watching that I didn't go yeah. nuts with them. Um, I don't blame you. Yeah, that yeah. is a bummer. Yeah. Um, we'll probably touch on this later, but do you see yourself bouncing back from that in 2021? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think I'll have more viewings, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'll be more enthusiastic about my top ten next year. I think more stuff's going to come out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, the dear God, know, I hope so. It all, it all just depends <laughs> on the back, you know, the uh, the pandemic and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, it, we'll we'll see. Um, we'll we'll see. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I I don't feel bad. Like I don't feel like I'm not an obsessive viewer because oh, right. seriously, we just watch so much television. <laughs> and I think television is so great right now. So mm. that's that was it was a good year for television. I'll yeah. say that. Um, so I, I did enjoy that side of it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the movies just weren't. Uh, weren't there for me this year yeah i i can understand that for sure yeah um shall i go into my stats go for it okay so on it like and i'm i had a good year so my total viewings i i had a total total number of viewings of 283 which i think mike you and i tied yeah we did that's awesome yeah so it was not a competition i just joke all year Which I don't know how much of a joke it was. I guess it was a joke. In like I said, in, in summer when I kind of realized that I was going to have a pretty big year, mm-hmm. uh, I started like paying attention to the number and, admittedly, paying attention to your number. Yeah. And I want to say in like July, I I I was like nine or ten movies up on you. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, I like said something, and it like. It set you off. <laughs> it's, and you want you want to tear in late summer, mm-hmm. and then uh, I was like, "Shoot, man, he's gonna he's doing this. He's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna beat. He's gonna he's gonna watch more." I knew that I would catch up mm-hmm. in October, and then I think I passed you up again in October, or at least brought us pretty close. 
mm-hmm. uh, and then November in those screeners, man. Well, and that's the thing. So, yes, I I got access to to screeners again, obviously, um, with my membership to the IFJA. But I I've got to say, honestly, my numbers would have been, I I would have I I would have had um and a considerable larger number of viewings had I not caught COVID at the end of the year, um, because COVID knocked me out from the from december like 11th to after christmas and uh-huh. in that time frame I, since i i was symptomatic like i had just a fucking pile of symptoms all over me um that's the time like that's the time frame where i get screeners and that's where i get like sc- like that's crunch time for the ifga to watch as many screeners as we can so that we can like have our awards and everything and and hash out our top movie of the year and our awards ceremony and everything and i was just so like it was a combination of on one hand just being knocked down from covid like i like i could not focus my attention on anything longer than um than a face uh, than a family guy cutaway um so i basically like i just i just i had a drought of um not being able to yeah. watch the screeners that i was uh that i that i was looking forward to so that's why my numbers just sagged at the at the end of the year and also i will say had i known <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I, I slacked a little, mm. but I didn't, I mean, compared to my, like, October and mm. summer pace, I slacked. But I still pretty consistently watched movies, especially at the end of the semester. We went virtual from Thanksgiving to Christmas, mm. and I got an hour lunch, which mm. I usually just have a 30-minute lunch. Mm. So I would squeeze in a movie on my lunch hour. So I, I could watch a movie every other day, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I would do that and then watch one at, at home as well. And I, I, I had like conceded that you were going to win the year, <laughs> by the way, in like July, one of us started the hashtag, not a contest. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally just contest. What was that? Totally just became a contest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I like had conceded at the in December. I was like, he's so far ahead of me. I'm just going to kind of watch comfortably. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like the day before New Year's Eve, I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> We're, he's like one ahead of me. And I'm planning on watching two tomorrow anyway. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope he just watches one. Yeah. And- <laughs> And to be honest, I we had that conversation. I think, like, I think, I think we talked about it in some some capacity. Like, you told me, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna watch these two movies um, to round out the year. And then, like, in my head, I was doing the math too, and I was like, I could, I could just be a dick and watch like two. Like, I planned on like watching like one extra movie. Um, I feel like, though, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> not a contest. Yeah. I will say, like, by the time we had the conversation, it your second movie wouldn't have started until, like, 11.45 oh, yeah. Eastern time. Okay, okay. I was, I was starting my <laughs> second one being like, I think I'm safe. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, but I just ended up watching, like, 
even getting the energy to watch my last movie of the year was like a little bit of a chore because I was just like, because it's not even, it's <laughs> it's not just that I had COVID. And like by that point, I think I was done with the symptoms. Yeah, I was like, that was my, my, that week, like I was basically out of the woods in terms of being symptomatic. But those two and a half weeks where I had COVID and I was like laid up and sick and everything with it. I was also like, it was being sick. And like, like I said, I had just all the symptoms at once and it just fucking sucked. But on top of that, it was like the mental strain that it put on me because I was on one hand, I was just depressed that I got it. On the other hand, I was fucking furious that I got it. (laughs) And yeah, I was just, it was just not a good mental state for me. So I was like, I can't concentrate on these movies about like these like even like like the kind of prestige movies it's like okay these are like kind of heavy duty dramas and stuff i'm like i don't i can't um so i ended up the last week that i had covid i just ended up listening to i I ended up watching family guy a lot and listening to stephen king short stories on audible so um that's where i got my comfort in um and the closing days of my bout with covid but anyway so so yeah, 283 movies uh, or viewings, and an, a stat that I I'm kind of proud of, and it's gonna sound like a lot, but it's also like keep in mind these are just blurbs. But on Letterbox, I took the time to uh, out of those 283 viewings, I wrote 207 reviews on Letterbox, like, and these are just capsule reviews, like like oh this movie was good because this and and X and Y was in like led to Z and I really liked that like it's just like brief like stream of conscious thing so it's not like full on reviews but I was really proud of like like that um so yeah uh the two hundred eighty three movies amounted to five hundred and four point six hours and I was really proud of the weekly kind of output um <laughs> uh in terms of I, I only had maybe a few weeks out of the year. I had one, two, only, I only had two weeks out of the entire year where I didn't watch a movie. Um, hmm. so that was cool. Um, my biggest day was Monday. I watched 53 movies on Monday, uh, on Mondays. <laughs> uh, first and last films, uh, first was her, which I talked about last year on the year in review episode. And to round out the year to have a kind of some connectivity with it um to kind of bookend the year i watched jexy jexy which was horrible the only reason i watched it was because it's a comedy version of her essentially and it's it was not worth it was not worth it to have that as a stat for my movie watching in 2020 it was a it was it was terrible um repeat viewings i watched um i, I watched knives out a total of four times um wow yeah wow. One of those... I, 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 I mean, that's a great movie, mm-hmm. and I, I think I watched it twice the year it came out. Yeah, but like, how do you do? You really get something out of it the fourth time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get. Um, let's see. So, well, the fourth time I watched it was to record a commentary track for Patreon. So, I maybe didn't get a lot out of it, but the patrons sure did. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, uh, Patreon.com/slash/obsessiveviewer. But anyway, um. Yeah, it's one of those things where I can't account for why I I watched it four times, but I know at least one of them was like, okay, I'm going to throw this on because I really like this movie. And uh, yeah, so you know, kind of a comfort viewing, I guess. 
And then uh, other repeat viewings um, tied for second was Back to the Future, and they came together both with three viewings um, each. So pretty happy with three that. Three times. Yeah. Yep. Um, wow. I'm also proud of this um, because despite everything that went wrong with the year in terms of movies and access to movies, because another thing that I didn't mention was that in terms of like screeners for the IFJ, there was like a little bit, it wasn't as heavy a like deluge of screeners. Um, and most of it was like, most of them were like digital screeners that had like a, a finite amount of time where I had access to it. So like, I mean, I, 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 and I didn't have the energy to prioritize them and stuff. So some of the screeners expired and everything. It's not like I had like a big ass thing of physical screeners like I did last year, but um, throughout 2020, movies that were released in 2020 that I watched uh, accounted for a total of 94 of my 283 viewings. So Damn. I watched 94 2020 releases in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Which I was very proud of. I, yeah. And I think last year. I didn't even know that many this year. Yeah. And, that, and that's yeah. the thing. So, like, yes, uh, it's. It sucks. Movie theaters were shut down uh, and reopened and then shut down and everything. And then like movies, like big tentpole movies got pushed, uh, pushed aside or, um, a director maybe forced it into theaters, um, uh, because, you know, he, I'm not going to go on that tangent. Um, but, you know, without, while making the sound mix really obscene and, and terrible to, um, uh, really hear anything, but anyway, um, you're straining a bit. I know, I know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so people are saying like, obviously, yes. Um, it's there's not a lot of movies in the kind of crop of movies in 2020. But what I found myself thinking, um, toward the end of the year is that like there there were good movies, there were incredible movies in 2020. It's just that it was harder to find them, and. Mm. Yeah. One of the things, like, and I know that I'm speaking from a place of privilege and that I, I get the screeners and everything, so, like, it's, it's a lot easier for me to find them. But if I didn't have those, and this is also a, an issue that maybe we, we don't need to talk about it, but maybe we can talk about it in a future episode or something because it, it's a big one. But, like, the, the shifting uh, or the kind of, um, the way that the movie industry transitioned to VOD and premium VOD and everything. Like if I didn't have access to screeners, I, there is not a single movie that came out in 2020 that would necessitate me, that would compel me to pay $20 for a rental mm. uh, digital, yeah. like the, none, right. none whatsoever. Agreed. Yeah. This yeah. Like another episode of a podcast, but I would, we kind of talked about this uh, with some of my friends. Like, what would you pay twenty dollars for this w- tomorrow to watch? Yeah. And honestly, so to be fair, I'm a cheapskate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my wife and I have a, an allowance, and so I have to like save my money for stuff that I want that we don't want together. Mm-hmm. I would be the only person watching the movie by myself. For to rent it for three days, mm-hmm. and my friend was like, "If Halloween came out tomorrow, you wouldn't spend twenty dollars." And I said, hmm. "I probably would, but not, not certainly yes." 
and I would have buyer's remorse. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Not not a new movie. I, I don't think there is a new movie that could come out that would make me want to spend twenty dollars to watch it at home. Like Say theoretically that it this was 2019 and Avengers Endgame came out and like the it, like if say Avengers Endgame came out last year in in 2020 instead of 2019 and it was on uh premium VOD like that's the one example that I could think of like okay this this could be worth $20 to watch at home but I again like Mike said I would have buyer's remorse from that because I mean that's that is a theatrical experience. Um, right. So yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, I would have done it for Dune because that was mm. that was my whole cinematic year was Dune, and then yeah. they, when the, I think that's part of what where all my enthusiasm left was oh, it yeah. was part of that because when they pushed it to you know there's pushed it out of theaters and then they weren't going to release it at all. I was like, mm. all right, well I'm done for the year. And, yeah. uh, if if they had done the the whole thing that they did with like Mulan or whatever, mm. I would have paid 20 bucks for that without question. Wow. And I probably wouldn't have had remorse, <laughs> buyer's remorse, because <laughs> I want to see that movie so bad. Mm. Well, you'll get your chance, and I think October when it comes out on HBO Max and theaters. Right, so, right. Which that's a whole other thing. But yeah. anyway, so I watched 94 movies released in 2020, and um, I still, even with that amount of, of new release movies that I saw, like there are some that I missed, which we'll get to, but there is also just the lack of enthusiasm just just from draining from my mental state and my mental health from 2020 and also just i think part of it is also just a lack of the big summer blockbuster tentpole releases just makes me makes it made this the hardest top 10 list that i've had to make hard stop in in terms of the year and uh movie yeah. lists yeah um so anyway uh, first and last film, all that. Um, I did keep track of one thing um, that I referenced uh, throughout the year. Um, <laughs> on Letterboxd, if you go to my profile and go to my lists, I have what I have affectionately called the Letterboxd Litterbox 2020. Um, it is a compilation of movies that I watched in 2020 in which a cat is on screen. At some point in the film, um, if you um, if you go to if you go to the if if you go to the actual list on Letterbox, you will see a a comment from our very own Mike White that is just simply yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Which fills me with so much joy. Brutal, brutal. <laughs> Um, but the the final stat for uh, Letterbox Letterbox 2020, and I will say this: this is the only time I'm going to do this because that was I'm not going to do that yearly because it's it's so dumb. But I watched 33 movies that featured a cat in some capacity on screen. Huh. Um. So yeah. So if you want to if you want to get some cool cat action going, um, there's a, there's a crop of uh, 33 movies that you can watch. Um. To, to see and them. now we all know that and have that in our brains permanently. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, top genres, uh, the top one was drama, which I feel like that, I don't know how, I, I don't know, I kind of feel like drama is kind of a catch-all kind of thing because I'm sure if I go yeah. through it's probably yeah. a little bit more nuanced. But uh, then from there it's comedy, thriller, horror, sci-fi. Um, let's see, and then... 
of the uh, I watched 63.3 percent of them of of my movies watched were uh, first viewings. So that's 179 out of 283, and 36.7% were rewatches. And uh, yeah, oh, my most watched actors. Um, I went on. I went through such a kick of watching uh, Kurosawa movies and samurai movies. Um, so my top top actor was Toshiro Mifune, uh, with 12 movies um, that I watched of his, and the second was Takashi Shimura, Shimura, uh, nine movies and. Coming up third, um, tied for third, but I'll just say this, uh, was Chris Evans. Uh, notable Japanese actor Chris Evans. I was going to say, which Samurai movies was <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> um, no, I watched seven movies with him, like uh, with him in them, not with him. Um, I do want to mention just real quick, just a brief aside. Uh, one of those movies I it was a rewatch of Snowpiercer, which I was a fan of. Like I, I rewatched it and like I got a whole new appreciation of that movie. I need to um, rewatch that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, because I was I Amanda was really... watched that whole movie, which is oh, kind of nice. crazy. That seems so far afield of her interests. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, and then top directors, uh, I had at the end of the year, I had the, these two directors were neck and neck. So I had Akira Kurosawa and Alfred Hitchcock. Those two were like like one away from each other throughout the last half of the like the last month of the year. And then I was all like, oh, I'm going to just binge watch a bunch of their movies and see like which one comes out on top or whatever. And then I got COVID and then didn't watch. I watched like one. But <laughs> uh, the top movie, the top director was Akira Kurosawa. With I watched uh, nine of his movies in 2020. And the runner-up at eight movies was Alfred Hitchcock. So those are my director stats. I watched Christopher Nolan movies. I watched five Christopher Nolan movies. Also, he's the third. <laughs> Um, a few of them were really good. Um, so I don't. <laughs> How did we? Chris Nolan was the total heel turn, man. <laughs> I think I'm. I don't want to dis- besmirch anything. Um, because this is a celebratory episode. <laughs> um, and uh, at least two of the lists. What well, one of the lists on this? Well, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I think those are pretty much all my stats for 2020 that I have. Um, even though the numbers were pretty good, I mean, 283 is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but it's still, it felt just, I I don't know. It just feels like I, I don't have the energy to really celebrate that and everything. Um, because you mentioned something you mentioned kind of at the top of your stats was the like the struggle and excitement you had coming up with your top films. Yeah. And we talked about this kind of all year, certainly mm-hmm. toward the back half of the year. I think the three of us, when we were talking about this episode in maybe November, were we were all like, are we even sure that we're going to have to... I think my exact words were, I haven't seen 10 good movies this mm-hmm. year. Yep. Yeah. As recently yeah. as like October, November, I was like, I, I'm not sure I want to do it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll say also that uh, of the recurring co-hosts um, lists, I do not have, I, I did not get a top 10 list from Kirsten or Feckus. <laughs> like I got like a top five from Kirsten and I got like highlights from Feckus. <laughs> so yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. It was tough. And I will say I, I am pleased with this top 10. This, this is a, these are the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I, I like, I gotta say, I don't know that three of these, maybe four of these would make it on other years. When I think of like the best years, like 2014 sticks out in my mind. That's when like boyhood and mm-hmm. nightcrawler and gone girl um prisoners those movies just blew my mind mm-hmm. they, these wouldn't even like come close these wouldn't even be in the top 15 of 2014 yeah i feel the exact i think maybe one of mine would be on a normal top 10 Damn. yeah yeah and I, I kind of feel like, and this is something that I communicated in the pod chat at some point, but I feel like the, the complete, the mostly complete lack of summer blockbusters, that just, what, that among other things just sapped my yeah. excitement for movie going mm-hmm. and movie watching this year because right. I kind of feel like I, I needed like that kind of, um, salve to put on it or whatever. Is that the right word? No. Um, I don't know. Salve. Yeah. 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 Some people say um, salve. I've, I've kind of said salve. Salve. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I just need like something to counterbalance the more heavy viewing and stuff. And, Absolutely and I just didn't agree have that. that. Yeah. In the fascinating thing, and this can go into our movies we missed if we have any, but the kind of fascinating thing about that is that when, I had a summer blockbuster readily available to me. I did not have the energy or inclination to to watch Wonder Woman 1984. Um, we uh, planned to review it on this podcast, did. guys. And Matt and I just straight up said, let's not. Yep, yep. We just did. <laughs> yeah. It was, and it's not for anything, like it's not, it's, it's solely because I just didn't have the kind of, uh, the um, excitement for it or the enthusiasm for it. I liked the first Wonder Woman a lot. Um, but it's just like after, after the beating of this year it was just like, okay, I'm, I'll see it when I see it, but um, I just, I, I can't get excited for it. So yeah, any movies you guys missed? Uh, I, like I said, I didn't even bother because mm. I, the, the would have been such a big, uh, such a big list, and mm. uh, I would have been not depressed, but just so filled with so much regret from the right. stuff that I didn't watch. Because I definitely mm-hmm. had the opportunities to, I just could not get excited about watching movies this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, yeah. I would have been embarrassed by my list of what I missed. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah. I also want to throw in, I, I I regret that I missed Freaky and Spontaneous. Yeah. Those two were I was excited about seeing, but I didn't. Those are the big ones. And and Freaky, I was never, I was obviously never willing to go to a theater to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, it's coming to VOD. I pro- I'll probably wait. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna rent a movie for more than five ninety nine. Right. I'm sorry if that makes me cheap, but I'm a lower middle class mm-hmm. high school teacher, and I, that's like. Five ninety nine is the best I can do. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't think that makes you cheap at all. Like I think that makes it you more sensible. And also, I kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, uh, if everyone's paying twenty bucks for like VOD, then what does that signal to like 
the industry of like movie theaters that, you know, what's that going to do to the movie theater in- industry when, you know, things get back to somewhat normal. Um, right. So, yeah. So I missed, um, <laughs> funny enough on my like 2020 movies to see, I didn't even put wonder woman 84 on there. Cause I oh, just yeah. don't care. To- uh, but never rarely, sometimes always, oh, I didn't yeah. get to see that. Nomadland, I didn't get to see The Trial of Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I, that's not out yet, but it's it, got like, it's on Netflix. It is, yeah. Oh, it is on Netflix? Yeah. It's yeah. released on Netflix uh, middle okay. of December. Oh, okay. Uh, and then Mank and then Tenet, if I haven't mentioned that, uh, are the kind of big, like, prestige they're like the awards movies that people are talking about that I didn't get to see, but it's not like I'll see them if they get nominated because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll feel that particular pressure to do so. Um, but I don't know that any of those specifically talk to me except for maybe never rarely, never rarely, sometimes um, always, yeah. but horror movies, there were a couple of big ones uh, that I missed. Um, kind of like you said, freaky is probably the big one. I can't. I don't remember if Saint Maud is coming or mm-hmm. or has come and just like it's twenty bucks or whatever. And <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to see The Dark and the Wicked, Hunter Hunter, hmm. Spontaneous, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, oh yeah, so lots of horror, but I just I didn't want to pay for any of them. Yeah, and I kind of feel like also that we're a little bit spoiled with a list or at least I was. So like even that it's like, okay, I'm not going to spend the amount of money that I spent for a monthly subscription where I got three movies where I got to see three movies a week um, in the theater. I'm not going to spend that much money for one movie that I can watch for three days um, at home. Like I, I just could not rationalize that with myself. Um, Yeah. Um, I was going to say something about that. I did have a jokey um, tweet that I did of a top 10 list, but I can't find it. Um, But that's fine. Anyway. uh, Okay, back to the notes. So, yeah. um, Oh, oh, that's what I was going to say. Mank. Um, I also, that, that fell under the... I don't have the energy to watch this movie. <laughs> um, right, exactly. Yeah, even though, like, like that movie seems right up my alley. David Fincher making a movie about making movies, um, like prestige drama in black and white on Netflix. Like, I mean, come on, I like that is right up my alley. Um, but I just, I just could not bring myself to muster the energy to watch it. So, yeah, yep. yeah. <clears throat> Any other thoughts on movies we missed, or shall we move on to the next segment, which is something that I'm scrolling up to see what it is? Um, oh, it's our top ten list. <laughs> the top. Let's yeah. get to it. Did any of us have honorable mentions? Um, um, I didn't. I mean, anything after top ten is an honorable mention, but right. yeah, I wasn't sure if you guys actually made a list. I, I usually no. do, but uh, just this year, no. Right. Um, I, no. I'll, I'll kind of go. I'll do. I'll do my honorable mentions really quick. Uh, just like the next five, uh, come to daddy, which is Elijah Wood. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, and it was kind of in my top ten for a while, but I pushed it out. 
Onward was in my top 10 because I saw it in like March. <laughs> and so there just a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Promising Young Woman was close. And then Matt and I kind of talked me out of it being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have some thoughts on that movie, but it's, it's, it's well done and I like it, but it definitely out of is the not top, in my top 10 entirely. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if I would have had it higher than eight anyway. Oh yeah. That that's fair. Huh. And then um, the hunt, which I know oh. caught a lot of flack. And, and I really think if it weren't for like Trump tweeting about it and the kind of the, the mm. faux controversy surrounding it, it's really funny. It's not super smart, but it's, it's a funny movie. Uh, nice. And I kind of appreciated it for that. But if there's a real runner up, if there's a real like number 11, where I was kind of trying to decide which one would be in the top 10, probably Relic. Okay. Yeah. I'm still super proud of our review of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was a good app. That was, that was a, that was a situation where like I came out of that review feeling a lot better about the movie and, and just really feeling like we, we kind of nailed it. So yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, as for uh, Tiny, do you uh, you already said you don't have any? None. Okay. Yeah. I have several now that I'm looking at my list of 2020 releases. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. Um. I'll just go through a few of them as they pop up in front of my eyeballs. Um. I'll I'll say Relic probably also. Um. Just because my uh, t- my my position changed so drastically and it it is a very quality movie. Um, doc the a couple of documentaries that I I purposely didn't put on my top ten for reasons that will be revealed as soon as I relieve uh as soon as I say them but um hashtag unfit the psychology of Donald Trump and uh totally under control the uh Alex Gibney documentary about the Trump administration's response to the um COVID uh, nineteen pandemic um. Those are both really, really incredible documentaries, like very well done documentaries. But I just couldn't have yeah, a little popcorn, food, little popcorn flick. <laughs> exactly. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't have more than one, like, COVID nineteen related thing on my top ten list. Like, I just yeah, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't bring myself to do that. So. Um, those, and then also the assistant I thought was spectacular, but just didn't make the cut. Uh, Ma Rainey's, uh, black bottom was, was fantastic. And I mean, I'll just say this cause I don't think it's on anyone's list or anything. I don't know if you, either of you saw it, but, uh, Chadwick Boseman, man, I mean, talk about a movie to like, I mean, obviously it wasn't planned to be his last movie, obviously, but like the, in terms of an actor having a final performance, like his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is freaking incredible. Like it is, it is fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, I guess that's all for honorable mentions. Um, yeah. Sound of metal. That didn't make the cut. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Um, yeah, shall we go into our top ten? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we do that, I'm going to splice in uh, one of the recurring co-hosts' top ten. So here is Tiny reading Fecus's list. 
All right. So we have a list from uh, co-host Robert Feckus. Um, he didn't have a top 10 per se, but he just kind of threw some movies out there. Uh, to start from the bottom, I guess, I'll say um, for worst movie, <laughs> he had The Old Guard as the worst movie. Interesting uh, entry there. Um, favorite documentary was Athlete A. Um, then for Pleasant Surprise, he had Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, biggest Disappointment was Wonder Woman 1984. And favorite movie was Tenet. So thanks for that list, Fekas. Okay. Well, that's Fekas' stuff. So let's go into our top tens. Um, so what we, how we usually do this, I don't believe any of us have the same number one. Um, so we're just going to go from 10 to one and we're going to go in a circle, essentially, um, go in a round table discussion. So, Mike, do you want to get us kicked off with your number 10 of 2020? Yes. Uh, so my number 10 was kind of a late comer, uh, and it's His House, which uh, came on Netflix. I think it's next Netflix exclusive, not produced by Netflix, mm. but uh, streaming exclusively uh, on Netflix. And it's kind of one of those new-ish, like, prestige horror-style movies um, a lot of people kind of compared it to like a Jordan Peele style and us. I kind of hesitate to do that. Cause I don't want, I don't like that feels a little easy. Like just because it's black horror, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a little uncomfortable and like unqualified to make that M- more than anything. It's, it's, it's refugee horror. And so it's a metaphor, um, for refugees. And so this couple, <clears throat> escapes South Sudan uh, and they have lost their daughter along the way. And the house that they're given as refugees in England or a town in England uh, is haunted. And they are kind of like haunted by their memories and uh, not to spoil too much, but like they're haunted by their guilt. Um, And it's, you know, horror always does a great job of touching on societal issues and uh, things like that. And I think this one is just kind of another one to throw on that corkboard of like, if you like socially relevant uh, and, you know, politically cognizant horror movies, you kind of need to see this one. Uh, It was really, really good. Uh, It's one I'll definitely watch come uh, next October. So it's called His House. Nice. Cool. And it is on Netflix. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, Tiny, your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is the documentary 76 Days. That's my number 10 as well. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, we talked about it on uh, Obsessive Viewer episode 327. Yes. Um, which, by the way, before going any further, I, I was on the website kind of looking up what we had talked about this year. Mm. And so I could reference those episodes during this list and just... Want to say great job with the oh. website, man? Oh, because shit. you kind of run that whole—you definitely run that whole thing by <laughs> yourself, and it's—it's it's really a big reflection on your efforts. And it's—it's it's so easy to navigate and search for stuff on oh, there. Nice, um, just really good job with it. I, I oh, love the you. website. Nice yeah. job, man. So, um, for the record, if you want to see the entire uh, uh, archive, um, obviously you go to ovpodcast.com, uh, ov takes you to the archive page for the entire podcast. But if you go to, for me at least, <laughs> if you want to see my output in 2020, uh, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash matthurt2020, and it has all of all of the podcast episodes I produced and all of the reviews I wrote. So, yeah. Nice. So, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but 76 days um, is, is just such an incredible um, compilation of very raw um, documentary filming. Um, I, I, it's so interesting to see a documentary with no talking heads, no, no mm-hmm. narrative flow. It's just, it's just a raw camera picking up real moments. And um, I think especially uh, capturing a once in a century thing like a pandemic, a global pandemic and uh, just having the uh, wherewithal to film it at the epicenter of that pandemic Mm -hmm. as it's happening is just an unprecedented thing in film. And the fact that they were able to capture it and, and so much, so much character development for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. is captured. Um, Like you get to know some of these people and and just the progression of it is captured with no uh, no um no no prompts or anything there's no there's no narration there's nothing it's just mm-hmm. you just watch it and you take it in and you can pick up on how this thing progressed and how it affected these individual people it's really remarkable what they were, what they were able to achieve with this documentary and uh, i'd never seen anything like it it's a really cool movie uh yes. So I said when I was talking about my honorable mentions that uh I didn't want to have more than one like COVID era documentary or movie on it. Um also uh movies I missed and movies I'm probably never going to want to see is Songbird um cuz that just felt kind of gross. Um but anyway, so 76 days that made the cut for my top 10 because specifically because it is that fly on the wall documentary that is just living out this uh pandemic at the beginning at the epicenter and everything and the thing that really spoke to me about it or or an anecdote that I'll share is that March 16th I think was the first day that I worked from home um like the like the company I work for uh sent everyone to work remote like everyone like everything shut down Fortunately, I worked for a company that didn't have any lapse of uh, employment or anything, so they just sent everyone home. So like 95% of the entire company was working remote. And so as I'm sitting there in my apartment working from home, I'm watching – like on Netflix, they had like some some, like quick documentary thing narrated by J.K. Simmons – about COVID and it's just like, it was just informational, like saying like, okay, they, this is what, uh, this is what it is. This is why it's different from, from other, from other viruses. And this is why it's hard to trace and all that stuff. And like, he started it, like it started with the narration, JK Simmons saying, um, when COVID like came about and everything, our world changed and everything. And like at that time, March 16th, I was sitting there watching and I was just like, I mean, at that point, I was still thinking like, okay, maybe it's just being blown out of proportion. Maybe it's not like it's it's probably, you know, it's going to go away and everything Um, or it's it. everyone's making a big deal of it, but it's not going to be that long. Like I was sitting there thinking like, oh, I'll be back in the office in three weeks and everything will be back to normal. But having that memory, like that memory of having that response to something and then seeing 76 days, which I don't know, I don't remember the timing of it, but, but it takes place, like, it's documenting, um, the outbreak in Wuhan, uh, when they shut down Wuhan, like, when they closed it, locked it down and everything. So I don't know where that lines up with, 
I'm, I'm sure it's like a couple of months probably before like March 16th when I, when I had that experience, mm-hmm. but like actually seeing how it was going in Wuhan and how like just like shots from inside the hospital, people like begging to get inside um, but they, but there's like literally no room and it's, it's, it was an apocalyptic event. Um, and it was, I mean, it, it is one of the most harrowing and heartbreaking things I've, I've seen like all year and, and in recent memory. Um, yeah. So 76 days, number 10, uh, on my top 10. So nice. yeah. that's interesting. I, I, I mean, good for you guys for watching that. And I am. Mm fully aware that I'm like exercising privilege in not watching it, but I, I just like check myself out from any of that stuff. It's so, yeah. it's so, so bad. I don't blame I you do. one bit. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. You what? We don't, blame oh, you don't blame me. We don't blame me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, even that, it, I mean, it's, it's an incredible documentary. It's an incredible piece of filmmaking. And even that, like, I feel like putting it on my top 10 could be perceived as like a, like a, um, like a historical, like number 10 entry. Um, but I think it's more, more reflective of, of, uh, my experience and our culture's experience and everything. And also I feel like it just, it was really important in terms of, in terms of documentary filmmaking, it's really important because, um, it provides some very, uh, very, um, important, uh, perspective, um, as we're still in a pandemic. So, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, Mike, how about your number nine? So my number nine is Pixar's soul, which debuted on Disney plus. Um, and you know, like as we were getting ready to start this, I was trying to think of what I would say about it. And, I always hesitate to like say like when when we're in like the bottom three of a top 10, I always have this tendency to be like, well, it's not higher up because it's this and this and this and this. But um, I feel like soul was like great for a Pixar movie, but I'll be honest, it has, it hasn't really lasted with me. This is, it's kind of one of those um, victims of like it not being a great, movie year in fact if i had my druthers i would move his house up above this one it is really good and it's really moving um and i didn't love the like before life stuff Mm. i was a little worried that the whole movie was going to take place there uh but then when it finally you know when he returns to earth um it picked up a little bit more and and um i don't know it's like i don't know that the movie had a strong message. It was like the movie ended and it was like message, just, just life. Thanks for watching. Life uh, <laughs> finds a way. Finds a way. <laughs> I don't know. That's terrible. That's a really bad uh, review of that movie. But like looking at this list, those are my feelings. And, and I like, that's how I remember it. Honestly. I mean, it's, it's higher up on my list. I'll, I'll say that. But I totally get that. Like when I saw it, I I was moved by it. I was incredibly moved by it. But there was still like something that I felt like 
I feel like when I was watching it, I was expecting it to go a certain way, and I was expecting like that Pixar emotional like gut punch resonance. Um, that it didn't quite do it the way that I was expecting it to. Like it still resonated, but it was in a different way. Um, and that that's what um kind of detracted it from. I just I just felt like um. You know, like, can I spoil the movie? I I, I feel like I have to put a little. I haven't seen it yet. I just, yeah, Tiny I just hasn't seen it yet. The lesson he learns at the end isn't earned. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'm really down on a movie that I put in my top 10 of the year. Yeah. And I, I try not to do that either. Like, um, yeah. Okay. That's fair. I um, feel bad. I almost felt pressured to put that in my top 10. <laughs> Because it's on so many, like, top five of the year lists. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I mean, in a year, in a year that has two Pixar movies, like, Onward wasn't even really on my radar. And, like, I probably connected with that a little bit. I don't know if I'd say I connected with it more than uh, Soul. But, I mean, it was more like that was back in March, and I'm just like, I, I... just over March. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that's your number nine. <laughs> number nine. Yeah. Sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiny, how about your number nine? Uh, my number nine is one that you mentioned in your uh, honorable mentions, Matt. Oh. It's hashtag unfit, the psychology of Donald Trump. Okay. Um, I watched several documentaries, so be prepared. I know that's not unusual for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had talked about it in Obsessive Viewer episode 324. Um, so you can reference that for more extensive thoughts. But um, I, I was really intrigued by it because I I had always heard you're not supposed to diagnose someone from a distance. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit unethical uh, for a medical professional or a uh, psychological professional to do. Um, and, and this documentary completely dispelled that notion mm-hmm. and they did it convincingly and um, really relieved me from anytime I would see articles or whatever about, Oh, psychologists say this about Donald Trump. I was mm-hmm. like, eh, I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't buy that because they didn't sit down and talk to the man. It's, it's a completely different thing, but uh, this documentary completely dispelled that and then laid out in beautiful fashion, just how, unfit the man really is yeah. and and which is a an opinion i already had so it was a little bit of you could also call this hashtag confirmation bias right. um but i do think it is a psychologically relevant and and mm-hmm. uh uh psychologically researched documentary and it's laid out quite well as as to why that that hashtag is or you know why he is unfit why donald trump was unfit yeah um yeah, it was just I just enjoyed it for that. Um I thought it was really professional as well. Uh mm-hmm. just all the so so many different psychologists and professionals yeah. concurred with the opinion and that was really encouraging. Um they didn't they didn't cut any corners in that regard. So right. I really enjoyed that documentary. Um me too. I I mean if it's uh, the thing is like I had 3 covid or political uh related documentaries on my radar for the top 10 so i had 76 days hashtag unfit and totally under control and the reason that i chose 76 days is because that's about the moment that's about the that's about the experience of the covid19 outbreak and the pandemic and everything Mm -hmm. whereas unfit and 
uh, totally under control is specifically about Trump's mentality and his um, incompetence with do like reaction to it. And I felt like it was more important to have 76 days on it rather than those other two. Um, just as just a chronicle of the experience of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, hashtag unfit was really, really chillingly compelling. And they also make such a strong case or such a strong um, argument for not only Trump being a malignant narcissist and just a dangerous person who is unfit for the for the office of the presidency, but also it goes into like his fascist leanings and like it it's not it it backs it up with actual fact and like going uh comparing him to like uh comparing his tactics with that of Mussolini and 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 just his history and I just I felt like that was just a really just Again, probably confirmation bias, like you said, but really compelling and chilling. Nice. So, yeah. 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 Um, oh, is it my turn? It is. <laughs> okay. Um, so, speaking of um, unique world leaders, I guess I can't transition that. So, my number nine is this movie that – so, my list, I, I have to kind of – I feel like I have to preface this a little bit. Since I do, I am a member of the IFJA, I get access to screeners. So there's some on my list that are littler scene movies. Um, so this movie is, my number nine is a movie called The 20th Century. It's the directorial debut of a filmmaker named Matthew Rankin. And it is, uh, it's kind of a, a total delight. It's basically, it's a, it's, um, I'll read the plot summary since it's probably not on a lot of people's radar. Um, uh, Toronto, Canada, 1899, William Lyon Mackenzie, uh, King fervently believes that he is destined to become prime minister. And this is such a, a wacky off the wall kind of movie. Like my, um, my, my blurb on Letterboxd was that it's like if Wes Anderson and Monty Python had a baby and then let David Lynch babysit it for an afternoon, <laughs> um, <laughs> Because the kind of aesthetic and just the weird and unique filmmaking techniques utilized in it is just so weird and off the wall. And it's probably off-putting for a lot of people, but it's something that is probably the most unique movie that I saw in 2020, um, even if it's a composite of those three filmmakers' styles. But it's just – it's it's so weird, and it was a delight, and I, I kind of liked it as this – reprieve from the horrors of 2020 and the heavy uh the heavy duty drama stuff of movies in 2020 so that's it's called the 20th century and uh yeah it's my number nine sweet yeah uh michael you know that i've heard of it yeah (laughs) i hadn't heard of it either i i hadn't heard of it either until i got the screener honestly (laughs) um but i I was i was really taken with it. if you see it on vod or something I, i recommend checking it out Okay. Yep. Uh, Mike, hit us with your number eight. Yeah, my number eight is Bill and Ted Face the Music. <laughs> nice. And it was one of the most delightful experiences I had watching movies uh, this year. In fact, looking at the rest of my top seven, none of the rest of them are happy movies. Uh, this <laughs> one is just a feel good. Like they set out to make the happiest 
excuse me, the happiest movie possible. Um, I was a huge Bill and Ted fan growing up. Like one of my best friends in elementary school and junior high, like we pretended to be Bill and Ted. We would quote Bill and Ted. Uh, and so when I moved away after sixth grade, we, we lost touch a little bit, but we haven't seen each other in 20-ish years. And uh, we made a promise to each other that we would we would watch that movie together in theaters when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously theaters are closed, so we didn't. So I did actually buy that movie for $24 or okay. whatever it wow. came out uh, so that my friend Fred and I could watch it together. And so we, we FaceTimed each other uh, or Skype. I don't remember what we did, but... We FaceTimed each other and, and watched the movie and caught up a little bit. And so my memory of that is tied with watching it. But also, I think it's a really fun kind of way to end the trilogy. Um, again, I won't spoil it either, but like their solution to um, like fulfilling the prophecy is pretty awesome. They do some fun time travel stuff, as Bill and Ted does. Um, but with the new. Like the MCU and Avengers Endgame kind of changed the way we talk about time travel in popular culture, you know? Yeah. I mean, these are already theories <laughs> people have discussed, but in terms mm-hmm. of popular culture and, uh, and, uh, Bill and Ted face the music kind of does that version of time travel okay. really good. Re- um, I think Keanu was a little, um, Keanu Lee. <laughs> oh. He was, a little tired, it looked like. Uh, but Alex Winter as Bill, uh, and then um, Bridget Lundy Payne as um, little Billy, so Ted's daughter. Were, they were just fantastic uh, in that movie. So um, worth it for worth it for the nostalgia. Worth it for the performances. Really fun, fun, fun movie. Nice. I I didn't see it. Honestly, I've never been uh too hot on Bill and Ted. It, nothing against it, but I've just I, it's never been something that I gravitated to. Although it does hold the distinction of one of my earliest like movie going experiences was seeing a double feature of both the the two Bill and Ted movies at a drive-in when I was a kid. So yeah, that's that's cool. I'm glad that yeah, uh, glad I liked it. stick with you. No, not really. I I never really re- I was too young to really grasp it. Um mm. and I just I don't think I've really properly revisited it. So, yeah. Same for me, yeah. Cool. Uh Tony, how about your number 8? Uh yeah, my number 8 is Sound of Metal. Nice. Uh, which was released on Amazon Prime this year. Um I don't have a ton to say about it. It's it's a pretty unique movie. I think it's um there's a delightful piece of irony in the fact that uh, the main character uh, of of the film goes deaf, and deafness plays such a huge part of the plot of the film. Um, but sound, the sound of the of the movie is so important and such mm-hmm. a feature of the movie, um, and that's clearly intentional. Um, mm-hmm. But it's um, I, I've never been more cognizant of how sound is captured and used in a film than this before. And, and uh, to my great delight, I, I, I had that experience with this movie. Um, 
And that's just one of the great things about it. Uh, Riz Ahmed has an incredible performance. Really loved him in this. Um, I think it was an Oscar nominated worthy performance for me. Um, and, and just the, the progression of his character is, I feel like it's very subtle, but it's, um, but it's so well done that you really connect to it. And, and there's also some underlying features of the relationship between the two main characters that, um, I, I think are, again, they're, again, they're subtle, but, um, they, they play such a big part, um, especially in the end. I, I thought this was going to be a very difficult movie to end, but they did it so beautifully. I, I, one of my favorite endings of the year, I think just, just a beautiful, beautiful ending. Um, it's, it's such a cool movie. It's really unique. I think, I think this of the three movies I've mentioned, this one would have been an honorable mention, even in a really good year, mm-hmm. just because of how one of a kind and unique the movie is. Um, and, and it's, I, I can't think of any other movie that comes close to this as far as being its own thing and doing its own thing. It's really cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That it didn't make my top 10, but. Yeah, I mean it, it is it is spectacular um for all those reasons. Yeah. Nice. Um my number 8 is another uh, a movie that it's not readily available for people as it, it was a screener I got. It's actually coming out a wider release in February, but um it is Minari um with Steven Yeun. It is about a family in 1980s um Nebraska um uh I don't know I don't know where they where they oh Arkansas that's right so it's a it's a Korean family a Korean American family that comes to that moves to Arkansas from California in order to the father played by Stephen Yun is is trying to you know he's he's going for the American dream he's trying to uh, farm and like start up a, a small farm and just live off the land and 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 support his family and everything. And the movie is just a beautifully told story of this family, this family drama as they f- as they face the um the 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 struggle of getting that of capturing the American dream. It's it's just it's an incredible movie and there's a lot of really just uh, incredible character beats amongst the family that like I, by the time the movie was over, I was like, I just, I want to live with this family more. Like they, they are just, they're a delight to live with and they're a delight to like laugh with and cry with. It's, it, it's a really beautifully told story. Um, I do want to single out, um, Stephen Young does, uh, does give a fantastic performance and it's notable that if he gets, if he's nominated for best actor, he will be, that will be the first Asian American best actor nominee, which I think is just a shocking stat right. and, yeah. uh, yes. really interesting. Yeah. But it's an incredible movie. And I also want to say that the, that there is a child actor, uh, Alan Kim, who plays like uh I think he's like seven years old in the movie. I mean, that is one of one of like the best child acting performances I've seen in a in a while. Um he he is fantastic and a lot of the emotional crux of the movie kind of hinges on his experiences with like his grandmother character in, in the movie, and it's not I don't know. I just I really really appreciated the the way that the story was told and it's it's kind of um 
it's it's just it's it's an incredible incredible family drama. So yeah, that's Minari, and uh, that's my number eight. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that on a few lists. That's mm-hmm. that's all. Awesome. It sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yep. So my number seven is Underwater, which was an early early mm-hmm. uh, movie that I saw. <clears throat> excuse me, in theaters, uh, and it really blew me away to watch it in theaters. It's it's kind of one of those ones where you're like, um, <laughs> you're like, don't watch this at home. It's like a <laughs> it's like a theater type experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.J. Miller is a little too T.J. Miller mm-hmm. for my taste in that movie, but. Other than that, the cast is really great, especially Kristen Stewart, who, excuse me, I had this kind of unfair stigma against, uh, you know, from the Twilight movies and just interviews early on in her career. She's she's a little uh, aloof or standoffish. And like I took that to be unlikable, Mm -hmm. um, whatever. Uh, but man, she has done some stuff the last couple of years that's just so impressive. And in this, she is like an action star. She is definitely doing like a Ripley um, from Alien type of thing and totally, totally selling it. Uh, the the scares are well-earned. Um, and then I won't spoil the ending, but um, there are creatures and then there is a kind of a main creature uh, that when that is revealed was like, is one of, I mean, it probably, <laughs> I mean, I know the list was small, but it was probably my favorite theater experience of the year. Oh, nice. Uh, cool. Seeing that. <laughs> Definitely a super high recommend. Easy top 10 for me. Um, underwater. If I could chime in, my most, uh, my favorite movie theater experience in 2020 was when I saw Onward and uh, uh, a family left uh, about 10 minutes into the movie because their baby puked on the floor right next to me. <laughs> so if that wasn't an omen for 2020, I don't know yeah. what, what it Sign was. Of things. Yep. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. I didn't, I didn't see underwater. So yeah. Uh, Tiny, your number seven, number seven, Matt's going to hate me. Uh, the social dilemma. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's a documentary we talked about um, in episode obsessive viewer episode three twenty five. Um, definitely listen to that for for further thoughts. But um, I why this made the list for me and why I think this is a great documentary for people to watch is I think this is the the best representation for how our data is used against us on social media or how it can be used to manipulate us. It can be aimed at us and how just, just how easy it is for whoever to manipulate us on social media. Um, there are plenty of criticisms to levy (laughs) at this, at this documentary. There's quite a bit of hamminess. Um, but I, I think, the construct they came up with was an incredible metaphor and, and the, the personification they used um, was, was I think just so poignant for, for the times and this, this interesting era of privacy and data and information that we're going through and are going to continue to go through until 
who knows what will change um, the singularity something like that yeah who knows uh but it's it's i i thought it was so fascinating for that reason um and i i think it's something that a lot of people should watch and hopefully they can get past the hamminess of it to really <laughs> to really get a grasp on just what's happening what can happen to you um i think that's something we talked about in the episode is that i think we all still have a choice as to how manipulated we can be uh, on social media. Um, but, but it's this, this lays out just how dangerous it can be and, and does it pretty well in my opinion. Well, I saw an ad on Facebook that proves to me that you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, No, I mean, I don't besmirch that or anything, um, or, uh, anything that that's great. Yeah. I, I just, the farther I got away from it, the, the more I just kind of was like, okay, yeah. I mean, it was fine. Gotcha. Cool. Um, real quick, I just realized I'm wearing my shirt inside out. So if that's not a metaphor for 2020, yeah. yeah. Oh, I got some talking about uh, social um, stigmas. Like, let's end that one. But um, <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Okay. So my number seven is another documentary, actually, and it is um, the, the documentary "The Last Blockbuster." Uh, directed by uh, Taylor Morden. Uh, it's a documentary about the last remaining blockbuster video in Bend, Oregon. And I was really enamored with this with this documentary. It is, I mean, it's basically just a, a chronicle of, of the last blockbuster and also just a celebration of not only blockbuster as a company, which is a weird uh, kind of thing to say, but also just it it is... A, a, at times a eulogy and a celebration of just the video store idea and how that is kind of this thing that is being completely lost in time. Like it, it's gone for the most part. Um, and yeah, I, I was really pleased with this, uh, with this documentary. It has a lot of good, talking heads um like interviews and stuff like kevin smith is involved there like kevin smith is interviewed sam levine uh ioni sky adam brody brian posein paul Shear, doug benson a bunch of people and um yeah it's it's uh, jamie kennedy as well um it's a really good um documentary and it's it's such a it's such a unique um thing to watch um in 2021 or 2020 when because it is it is this nostalgic view of blockbuster which at its in its heyday was this massive corporation that had like it, it's it, it kind of seems weirdly anachronistic to have this wistful nostalgia for a bygone thing um that was just completely usurped and and is almost completely gone from the culture so um the last blockbuster my number 7 um Really? Not to review that movie because I haven't seen it, and it mm. definitely seems like something I want to see. But um, yeah, that kind of thing makes me think about like other other things like that have also been usurped. Mm. Uh, we just don't know about right things that were like as prevalent as something like blockbuster that are just gone. You mean like in media before, or just in general uh, before culture? our time? Oh, okay. A hundred years ago, used to be massive, and now it's just gone. Hmm. I don't know yeah. about gone, but like train travel. Oh yeah, yeah. 
used to be one of the most <clears throat> common forms of travel, and now That's true. almost no one uses it. That's um, true. Anyways, yeah. Dueling. But yeah, the... <laughs> All right. Yeah, dueling. All right, so my number six, Tiny, is The Social Dilemma. Oh, interesting. Nice. And uh, I have said this a couple times, but I think the dilemma that that documentary presents is uh, the most important of our time. Uh, And even as prevalent as the issue is, and as much as people are talking about it, and as kind of popular as that documentary was for about 10 minutes, um, I still don't think people are talking about it enough. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, in this election cycle, we had some, some more pressing issues um, to deal with, but in four years from now, when we're talking about um, maybe a re-election or a new candidate, I really think we need to hear about um, what they have to say about internet privacy and mm-hmm. security, because um, it's a thing I now think about a lot, and and the way our phones manipulate us uh, in ways that we don't know. And Tiny, you you mentioned like you have to be careful with the amount of stuff like how it lets how much you let it control you and i think in a lot of ways we don't have control over that yeah um and even you know you and i have seen that movie i, I still there are ways that my phone gets me that makes yes. me incredibly uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and yeah it is hokey but i also think it was for a particular audience um and i hope that high schoolers kind of got it because i think it's for high schoolers mm-hmm. um but it's such a it's it's so important i can't stress that enough um for so many people i mean there are there are obviously huge issues just on a global scale um climate change probably being the most <laughs> deadly <laughs> um but this is something we're just not talking about enough. And I, and I just have to, I had to include that on my list because mm-hmm. I think it, it really puts it in a, a really digestible package. There's a particular line um, that my wife and I gravitated to a lot that like um, other things that you own are tools. A bicycle is a tool. If you need, you don't use the bicycle unless you need to go somewhere, then you use it. Um, your phone is, was meant to be a tool, but we're now so dependent upon it, it uses us mm-hmm. now. And that's an issue. Um, and it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, I think the line that uh, we are the product, that's, mm-hmm. that's the most right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I like again. I don't besmirch anyone that document. Like, I didn't even. I didn't dislike the documentary. It's just not on my top ten or in my honorable mentions. It's just. Yeah. I just. It's so weird because like now that like the post election post inauguration thing like the post Trump era thing now in my head because like not I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this but. I have been so like a couple weeks ago when the uh, insurrection happened at the Capitol, like my mind broke a little bit and my heart broke a little bit for the country. Yeah. And the thing that, the thing that I kind of that snapped with me was that these are thousands of people who 
are following just not good information. Like information that has not been proven, was not proven, was not given any evidence for, and was actively disproven in dozens of court cases being thrown out. Yet they still did this thing and in the process ruined their lives right. um, yeah. all for a false narrative that they're, that they were fed and, and ate up. And over the last year, I have gotten into many like obnoxious social media conversations and debates and arguments and stuff with people that are just entrenched in that line of thinking, or I wouldn't even say in that line of thinking, just people that are entrenched in lines of thinking that are different from my own and different from my, my personal beliefs and ideologies and everything. And when that mm-hmm. happened, it just snapped with me. I was like, okay, I understand what the social dilemma is saying. I understand that, you know, there are bubbles that are created with social media and targeted ads and targeting through social media. But on the other hand, my kind of go-to thing, and it's kind of wearing off now um, because I'm, 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 I'm becoming more conscious of, you know, the bigger problem. But my, in reaction to the capital thing was that we all have the same access to the same information. Like, even though if, if it's being pointed at us in a certain way, if we're, if it's, if it's being fed to us a certain way, we still have the access to the same internet as a whole. And I just, I kind of can't really, I don't, I don't like the idea of, being like, well, we're not in, con- we're not as in control as we think we are. I know that we're not in, we're not in control or whatever. But I still kind of want that optimism of, you know, theoretically, everyone should be able to think critically about the things that they see and hear and read. But I don't know. Maybe it's a naive thing. But that's that's kind of yeah. I don't yeah. Know. I'm I'm pretty optimistic, and I try to get hopeful too. But um. People are really dumb. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I was um, the, the the George Carlin line I've been using a lot lately mm-hmm. is like, think of how dumb the average person is. Mm-hmm. Half of people are dumber than that. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I agree. That is, that's fantastic. Um, parting thought on that, and then we can we can move on. Is that the kind of the coda to that to my weird rant there and tangent is that just like a couple of days ago i made just a quick like rice and sausage like dish that i made and i was like i was thinking and i was talking to uh, in a group chat with some friends and i was like oh, i'm thinking about adding some some ketchup to it you know that'd be kind of cool um and i did and it tasted fine but like Within 10 minutes of that, I took a screenshot of something on Facebook, like someone's post, and shared it in that same group chat. And then they were like, oh, ketchup. Um, and then I was like, what? And like in the screenshot, there was an ad for ketchup. And like that's not oh, a yeah. – su- yeah, that's not a surprise. But the yeah. surprise is I didn't even notice it when I took the screenshot and shared it in the group chat. <laughs> like it, like that is alarming to me. So, Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tiny, your number six. Uh, my number six is the movie Tenet, uh, okay. which I haven't talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Matt, you and I messaged about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I included it in my top ten. I um, I am undeniably a, a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I have loved every movie he's ever made. Um, and I think a lot of people have, I feel like his popularity has waned. Um, I think a lot of people didn't connect with Dunkirk. Mm. Um, Tenet had the unfortunate fortune of being, uh, released with, with the pandemic and just got completely screwed by that. Um, but I think if it had more, popularity or if uh, you know there were more people who had seen it or whatever i i I still don't think it would have been as as well received Mm -hmm. um i think it is a weaker entry from him in that regard because i think the characters weren't there i think the character relationships weren't there but as a concept for a movie it's just really unbelievable (laughs) just an incredible concept for a movie um and I, it's it's something that like I, I don't know how someone comes up with that idea in their head, you know. And and so like Inception was falls into that category as well. But it had the benefit of being so well done and being much more palatable as an idea, and much more linear. It's it's layered. Obviously, that's kind of the concept of the movie. But it's it's linear, and you can follow it much easier. But Tenet. Basically, by the time we got to the climax of the movie, I, I was just along for the ride because I was like, mm. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I'm going to try to watch this and pick up what I can pick up mm-hmm. and enjoy what I can enjoy and try to pick up more on further viewings because this is so nuts <laughs> what's happening right <laughs> here. Uh, it's, it's just ins- the concept was just insane. And so freaking cool, um, and and the, just all all the filming techniques, and um, I think Kenneth Branagh was really really chilling in this movie, just hmm. completely vapid character, and just so so just void of of human emotion, with the exception of just anger, just deep anger, and and truly an evil villain. Um, so I liked him a lot. Um, and it's, I just, I was so enthralled by it. I was, I was confused a lot of the time, but I did, I did catch up and was able to follow the movie, um, and, and was blown away by so many moments of it. And, uh, it's, it's an incredible movie that I, I really want to watch again and, and really dive into more. It's, it's, it's definitely bears repeat viewings. Um, but it's, it, it is a very flawed movie, but despite those flaws, it's incredible. Um, and I, I, I really wish more people had seen it and it had been more of a zeitgeisty movie, like, like Inception or, um, uh, even Interstellar, you know, mm-hmm. was a popular movie that a lot of people saw and it, it was, it had some controversy to it as well. Uh, kind of up and down reviews of it, but I, 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 really, Gosh, I love it. What's that? I love Interstellar. It's one of the best movies ever, man. <laughs> I still haven't revisited it since the theater. Uh, yeah. Have you really? Yeah, I mean, and it's not out of just like I'm not I'm not bitter about it or anything. I'm just like, it's a movie I didn't connect with. I, I <laughs> fuck fuck it. <laughs> I watched it in 2020 and loved it just as much as nice. I did, yeah. So I have but, a digital copy of it, so I'm I'm I'll watch it eventually. But right. but yeah, I I really. <laughs> I was just so blown away by Tenet as a, as a concept. It's super cool, and uh, uh, but I, I 
I think a lot of people have have faulted it, and I don't think they're wrong. I'll put it that way. Okay. I, I don't think anybody's wrong. I think it's I think it's just a t- really really subjective movie. Um, a peek behind the podcast curtain here. Um, not last night, but the night before. Um, the Monday night of this week, a, a few days ago, um, Ben and I. recorded next week's episode of obsessive viewer it's an ebert's great movies list review episode um and on the uh potpourri section he brings up tenet and not to spoil it but uh not to spoil the episode but i go on a bit of a rant so i'm not going to i'm not going to bring any negativity into your reading of your number six from your top 10 (laughs) okay just wait until you hear that episode (laughs) later (laughs) Yeah, I I I am hesitant to listen to very cogent arguments <laughs> against the movie because I think it's a movie that is totally ripe for being shredded. But uh, would you say you're hesitant? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, <boy>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh Matt, your number 6. Okay, yeah, my number 6 um let's see where is it? Okay, my number 6 is uh The Vast of Night. Um the directorial debut of Andrew Peter- Patterson. Um, it's available to stream on Amazon Prime, by the way. Um, this is a movie that I, it, it's tailor made for me, honestly, and my sensibilities. It's a, it's a science fiction love letter to classic science fiction. I mean, right from the opening shot, the opening shot is a kind of 50 style, like living room setup with this, uh, like old school TV that's showing, just a a black and white image. And there is a, a Rod Serling impression, um, a a Rod Serling, like sound alike voiceover that is essentially doing like the twilight zone opening narration, but for this fictitious show that brings us into this world of the vast of night. And just on an aesthetic level, it is just, it is, it is, it is a a Matt Hurt movie. Um, It is, it's incredible. Like they have a ton of like Easter eggs and little like homages to like world of the world and the twilight zone and Rod Serling and everything. And it's, it's, I I love it for that. Um, And the performances are, are all really good. The dialogue is, is fantastic. Um, It, it's has some really great dialogue moments. And the cinematography as well is is fantastic. There are a, are a couple of lengthy tracking shots that are just, I mean, like there's a, a scene where it goes, a one continuous shot, or it at least appears to be, where it goes from one location through a deserted town into a, 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 a gymnasium that's filled with, with spectators watching a basketball game, goes through the court, and then up the bleachers through the window and then to a second location uh, or to a third location from that uh, where it ends. And it's like that was one of the one of the most impressive filmmaking sequences I saw in, in 20, uh, 2020. Um, and I love it for that. And yeah, I, I, I really dug The Vast of Night. That's my number six. We talked about that shot uh, mm-hmm. the next day. Mm-hmm just in our little chat. Uh, and I mentioned that it felt like an homage to Halloween. It, looked, that, it looked very 
like Halloween. And that totally blew my mind. There's an article from the cinematographer that I admittedly haven't read where he talks about that. Um, not to brag, but he also liked my tweet about the about that shot. But anyway, um, uh, I'm curious to go back and check out that article and see if if they mention uh, Halloween being an influence because I totally totally get that vibe in retrospect. Yeah, yeah it, it made me think of uh, the Secret in Their Eyes. Uh, there's an incredible tracking yeah. shot at a sporting event in that mm. movie. Uh, the I mean the original Argentinian version, mm. not the American remake. But mm. uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I'm gonna. Sweet mention uh vast of night later on so oh nice yeah nice i will not be mentioning that <laughs> okay but you're I, up really my... nice. I really bought into like the first half mm-hmm. um i thought the characters were good and i really liked that the kind of main boy mm-hmm. and his like quick um line delivery was really yes. good but uh by the time they get to the old lady and she tells her story i was a little bored that's okay. fair that's fair um, and now we're going to go into our number fives, but first I'm just going to really quickly read Kirsten's top five, um, for 2020. Um, I don't think, uh, okay. So in number five is Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, <laughs> number four is Wonder Woman 1984 and number three is Birds of Prey. Number two is the Lovebirds and number one is Love and Monsters, um, which she and I reviewed on the podcast, Love and Monsters, um, fairly recently. Um, so check that on the feed. So those are Kirsten's top five. And uh, Mike, do you want to bring us into your number five? Yes, top five. These are the good ones. This is – I feel good about these. Again, I don't know that they would compete with some of my favorite years, but uh, I do like these. So my number five uh, is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, Nice. Which is the the Charlie Kaufman uh, straight to Netflix starring Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons uh, and Tony Collette. Um, I read the book of this, I think, just on a whim, like before the movie was announced. And the movie was announced shortly after that. And I really liked the book. Uh, it was trippy to read, um, but I really liked that contemplative um, style of reading. Um, <clears throat> at the at the risk of sounding like a hipster, I know that not a lot of people liked this movie. And what I'm reading uh, is that if you read the book beforehand, generally there's a correlation that you liked the movie a lot. And if you didn't, you you probably didn't like the movie. Um, knowing what was going on, having read the book. I was able to kind of dive into the long, long stretches of dialogue. Um, it's a very, very talky movie and super ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I have been known on this podcast to um, be a little reticent toward ambiguity. But the, I take a particular shine to really well-written and interesting dialogue. So, like, I'm able to forgive certain bits of ambiguity if they give me something interesting to watch along the way. So, for instance, not to dog on your movie that you like, but in Vast of (laughs) Night, there are just moments, like, I'm not a big um, shots guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like well-constructed scenes, but, like, long contemplative takes that just move into something don't interest me. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's two characters, if it's a simple two shot, 
and they're having an interesting conversation, then I really buy into it. Uh, and this movie was essentially that with trippiness, the back half. Um, and it spoke to me. I, I, I kind of, this is not really in my wheelhouse. You, you mentioned like a Matt movie. I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm thinking of ending things is a Mike movie, but something about it really spoke to me. Um, it's kind of, it has one foot in the horror genre. Um, and Tony Collette is kind of doing her Tony Collette thing. She's just so fabulous. I, I'm like in madly in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just good. Jesse, Jesse Plemons is great. Um, and I don't know a lot about Jesse Buckley, but she was great too. Mm-hmm. And I just had a lot of, I had a lot of fun with it. Nice. I will be talking about that later. But yeah, okay. I, I I loved it. It's interesting because I didn't read the book, but I, I loved the movie. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I really, really, really did not like the movie. Um, oh. I, I I didn't read the book either. To your to your point, mm-hmm. Mike. So um, the 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 dialogue scenes I felt like uh, while they were well constructed and well acted, just really didn't affect anything, and were were mostly um, about mundane not mundane mundane subjects, but about just things that didn't matter, I guess, mm. or didn't seem to affect what the characters were thinking. I don't know. It just, and, and the mind trippiness, I didn't mind. That's, that's cool. That's a Charlie Kaufman thing. And I've liked some of his other movies, but mm-hmm. I just could not get behind this. Uh, I did not enjoy it. Um, but the performances were incredible. Tony Collette, I cannot stop watching her. She's, she's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I did not like the movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But it's, it, I would never call it a bad movie. It's mm. definitely not a bad movie. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I would recommend uh if you're if you're interested in Jesse Buckley, um she was in a movie last year, twenty nineteen called Wild Rose that she was fantastic in. Cool. And uh, okay. Chernobyl. She was in Chernobyl on oh, HBO, yeah. which is an insanely good series. Mm-hmm. I know you're not into T V right now, Mike, but uh-huh. it's yeah. oh, it's insanely good. She was also in Doolittle. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Did you guys watch that? No. Me either. Um Okay, and then also she's gonna be in the new uh Alex Garland movie, Men. Um that was just announced. So my number five is something that we've already talked about a little bit, so I won't spend too much time on it, but it's Pixar's Soul by Pete Doctor. Um Soul to me, even though I, I did have some not necessarily qualms, but it just didn't really go the way I was really hoping for it to go at the end. Um, but uh, I still think it is um, a very strong, um, I don't want to say return to form, but it's a it's a strong kind of echo of like Pixar's Inside Out. Um, it, it does this thing that Pixar has been, especially in Inside Out, very, very successful and... Um, good at is taking complex existential uh psychological like concepts and presenting them in a way that is approachable and understandable and breaks down the complexities to communicate like the deeper meaning of them and like the implications of like these different these abstract and philosophical concepts in a way that is both approachable for kids. I don't know how approachable this movie is for kids, uh, weirdly enough. Yeah. But, but like, 
as an adult watching this, it's like these they're dealing with incredibly, incredibly heavy concepts and it just the way that they break those down to their barest and and just do like create a story through uh through this abstract concept is is really remarkable to me um also a character uh enters the body of a cat so yeah um, <laughs> yeah what'd you say letterbox, letterbox. letter yep my letterbox letterbox <laughs> so, so yeah, that's my number five, Soul. Uh, Mike, do you want to bring oh, us to your? Well, you skipped me my number five. Did it? Did I? Yeah, you totally skipped over me. Oh shit! <laughs> when, what Wait. the fuck, man? Okay, I'm kidding. Okay, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, because I kind of took the mic. I was responding to. That's um, right. Yeah. To, I'm Sorry about anything. that. No, yeah. you're okay. Tiny, do you want to give us your number five? Well, it'd be really brief. Um, it's the documentary Totally Under Control, which oh, okay. which you mentioned. Um, in your honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Um. I love it because it's the movie was sort of presented. The documentary was almost presented as like a prosecutor's case against Donald Trump and his administration Mm -hmm. and how they responded to the COVID-19 outbreak. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just constructed so well. It's literally point by point piece of evidence by piece of evidence as to how badly they fucked that up. Mm-hmm. And um, unequivocally, it was a mistake, and <laughs> it was a horrible response. And I think factually, they laid out how you cannot make an argument that Donald Trump and his administration did a good job, no. especially at the beginning of this. Um, and they they just absolutely hit the nail on the head. And it was a pretty objective documentary. I, I don't think there was a lot of opinion giving. It was just like showing, hey, this is a fact, and they did not respond correctly to this fact. Yeah. And that, that that's just, it was just beat by beat, and it it seriously felt like a, a like a courtroom case against mm-hmm. a defendant. That's what it felt like, and it was beautifully crafted, and I loved it for that. Such a good documentary. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it too. Mike, do you want to bring us to your number four? Yeah. Reconfigure. Okay. Uh, so my number four is Max Barbacow's Palm Springs. Nice. Andy Samper, Kristen Milioti, J.K. Simmons. Uh, I love this movie. Gosh, this was such a... I mean, I love Groundhog Day, so the Groundhog Day concept obviously speaks to me. I, I One of the things I love in that type of concept is like to see what people do with the amount of time and also which I know is like the point of the movie, but like um, how each movie deals with like how long they're in the time loop. I think that to me is interesting and kind of like what it does to the psyche of the people within. Um, I also thought it was a really cool twist on uh, a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, my wife's taste in movies is fairly limited. She re- really rather watch a romantic comedy if we were going to watch something together. So we watched um, kind of a few weeks before this, we watched They Came Together, nice. which I know is one of your favorites. Yep. She didn't love that. It was a little too silly for her. And for me, I kind of like smart, but with a <clears throat> with a twist of something. And, and Palm Springs offers that. Um I kind of like the like neon 
destination wedding aesthetic that it offers. Um, and it's a really like, I think they're, they have chemistry on screen. Uh, mm -hmm. that's palpable. I, I really loved Palm Springs. I'll watch that again soon for sure. Nice. Um, I loved it too. And I'll talk about it, uh, here soon. Nice. I didn't get a chance to see it. Oh, nice. I, I highly recommend it. It is available on Hulu. Sweet. Yeah. Tiny, you're number four. Uh, my number four is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay. Um, I am an unabashed uh, Aaron Sorkin fan. Um, just unflinchingly love his work. Um, and so I I can't separate from that because I just I love his <laughs> style. And this movie definitely had his style. Um, I The performances were just so great. I think I, I love... Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, mm -hmm. um, he's written off as a very silly actor. Um, but even just how, how brilliant is Borat, right? That's, mm -hmm. it's such a brilliant character and it's wrapped up in all this comedy and this kind of gotcha stuff, but it's just a really brilliant acting. And, mm -hmm. and I think the, the ease with which he played his character in this movie, really exemplifies just how insanely talented of an actor he is. Yeah. Um, I thought he was worthy of an Oscar nomination in this movie. I mm -hmm. absolutely loved him. Um, but just, this is such a, an interesting event that I knew next to nothing about. Same. Um, I knew the 1964 democratic convention in Chicago was a very, uh, uh, controversial event and a lot of the riots happened and all that stuff. But, uh, I, I just didn't know much about it. And, uh, especially the the Chicago seven. I just didn't know nothing about them. And so I was really interested to learn more about it. And, um, I, I think it was, it was crafted as somewhat of a courtroom drama, but, um, there was a ton of comedy throughout it mm -hmm. and, uh, which Aaron Sorkin is want to do. Um, but it's, it's, it's just crafted so well and acted so well. And, um, I, I think Aaron Sorkin's style was, a great, a great way to tell this story. I, th I think if you go too serious, it just would have gotten lost in thing. You know, it would have gotten lost, I think, or it would have, it wouldn't have worked. You can't, there's so many moments in this event and this trial that were just funny on their face or just comedy on their face. And mm -hmm. he knows how to blend those two things so well. He, and he knows how to bounce back and forth between a hilarious moment and something incredibly serious mm -hmm. and that's a really difficult skill. And, and I think he, he, he put that on display remarkably well in this movie. Um, nice. and I, I really loved it, but, but I, I totally admit that I'm just the biggest Sorkin fan. So <laughs> I, I think that has a lot to do with it, but it's, it's a great movie. There's nothing wrong with that. I, it didn't make my top 10, even though I, I think when I saw it, I was very high on, it. I wrote a review of it on the website and I I really enjoyed it. It just didn't make my make my list or honorable mentions or anything. But I will say that it is it has one of the best ensemble performances. Um, yeah, definitely of twenty twenty. Um, it's just it's it's really it's really a well crafted movie. So nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> okay. So my number four is going to be kind of a kind of a controversial one for us uh here I think or I maybe not who knows it's promising young woman I put it at my number 4 um this is a movie that I I was very uh high on it 
when like when I when I saw it. Uh, this movie I think struck such a such a nerve with me and was really a powerful statement in in the way it was communicating its uh its central character and her kind of uh um her arc throughout the throughout the movie as it pertains to this uh uh this male dominated world that we live in and this uh, like doling out consequences for um heinous behavior perpetrated by by men against women and I saw it once and I, I was very interested. Uh, I was very taken with it. And then the more it settled with me, it just kind of like has broken down a little bit. And I, I need to revisit it because when I first saw it, I was like, this it could be my number one movie. But uh, like through conversations with Mike and, and with some other people, I just feel like it, it, some of the things that didn't work for um, – other people or some of the things that made uh that angered other people um worked for me a surprising amount and i think that it uh, overall the kind of the main aesthetic and in tone that the movie struck is so unique in the way it's developing and and communicating its um its kind of um central themes and and arguments i guess against societal um, sheltering of of heinous behavior and and looking the other way and stuff, um, it just it worked for me and I I don't know so that's that's my number four and uh, it's promising young woman and I I I will go on record and say that Carrie Mulligan gave one of the best performances of the year in that movie for me, so yeah, promising nice. young woman for sure number four I want to see that one yeah it's good, um Mike. Want to bring us into your number three? Yes. My number three is a horror movie, Gretel and Hansel, oh, nice. um, uh, directed by Oz Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son. Uh, and it's one of the movies I saw twice this year uh, because it's weird. It's, a, it's kind of an avant-garde. Um, it's very much a movie where tone is the focal point and atmosphere is the focal point. Um, the performances are good, but they're secondary. Um, the story is, well, it's the fairy tale, Hansel and Gretel, but it's also minuscule. Really, the point here is the tone. And seeing it in theaters um, in the aspect ratio that was unusual and the color grading that was unusual and just the, the the it's funny that I said I'm not a shots guy. <laughs> Listen, I contain multitudes. Hmm. It's very hard to figure out what movies <laughs> I like. There's something about the tone of this movie that struck just the exact right chord I needed at the time. Also, pretty strong feather in its cap is that it's only 87 minutes. Hmm. My kingdom for 90 minute movies, um, <laughs> and just the it was. Like the whole movie just had this eerie dread to it, uh, and then when they meet the the witch in the cottage, and she's kind of doing <laughs> witchy things, and she's like, <laughs> you know, offering potions to Gretel. It's, <clears throat> you know, there's a touch of the the feminist switch 
uh, in this movie. I really don't think it like hits you over the head, but um, man, I feel like if this was an A twenty more A twenty four movie, people would be drooling over it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of flew under the radar. Nobody talked about it, and it went away. But it's I I definitely want people to remember this movie because if you if you want fairy tale ish tone, not super scary, uh, uh, scary horror. It's great. I, I loved it. Nice. It didn't make my top 10. Uh, it would probably be like at the tail end of my honorable mentions though. Um, if only because Oz Perkins, man, his style, it just, it, I, I was really taken with it. Um, yeah. and he also directed an episode of the twilight zone this season. And it was, again, it was similar to, to this, it was a very uniquely visual story that had plays with some really interesting things. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I had no idea that he was Anthony Perkins son until I read about it. Like, like when I was doing research for the Twilight. Oh, really? Yeah. And yeah. like, when I read that, I was like that, it, it just blew my mind for some reason. It was just like, that's, that's so awesome. Um, I have seen all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, love i am the pretty thing that lives in the house it's kind of that same thing atmosphere but mm-hmm. not as interesting okay. i was a little bored by it and the black coat's daughter is actually really good but it's also it can be tedious okay um but it's only 90 minutes so <laughs> give it a whirl sweet. nice sweet yeah so tiny uh, my number three is The Vast of Night. Oh, nice. Yeah, which we talked about, or I talked about in Obsessive Viewer episode 321. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely listen to that episode. Um, we went into more detail, but just to echo everything Matt said, I, um, I'm i totally, uh, and also to borrow one of Mike's terms, I'm totally a shots guy. Like that mm-hmm. will completely suck me into a movie and steal it for me. Um, so this movie was all of that. Uh, it just, gorgeous camera work mm-hmm. completely sucked me in and I couldn't stop watching it. Um, I did mention in my review, the biggest flaw of the movie to me is the lighting. It was so freaking dark and yeah. I don't understand that choice. Um, it drove me nuts throughout the movie, mm-hmm. but uh, everything else was just on point. Um, Mike mentioned the part with the uh, older woman telling her story mm-hmm. and that was one of my favorite performances of the year from that old woman and I don't even remember her name (laughs) and it it was just it it blew me away because she was it was a static camera she wasn't you know his camera wasn't moving it was just one actor crushing it and I loved that part of that movie it was so cool Um, and I I like how it wasn't uh, you know we didn't get to, there was no reveal of the monster or whatever Mm. you know the classic reveal uh, wasn't there and I've, I've always been a more of a fan of that um, in horror, thrillers, sci-fi. I think that's really fun. Um, but I also understand why it bothers people. So I, I can't, I don't fault it or credit it too much for that, but mm. it worked for me. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, just the, for me, it was the camera work and then the, uh, the main character, um, his, his, his quick witted stuff, his mm. radio guy personality, I really enjoyed um, such a cool movie. Uh, it just had that vintage feel to it that I really yeah. loved. Um, yeah. Something else about vast of night real quick is that when I was rewatching it, I was, I was sitting there thinking like, 
Yeah, okay. Of course I I I like this movie a lot because, you know, obviously the aforementioned science fiction homages and stuff. But it's also like, okay, but also the kind of cool main character guy is a, a radio personality who is like who speaks into a microphone a lot. So, um like that kind of resonated with me. Right. Um since I'm super cool too. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that's cool. Um Shall I go on to my number three? Yes. Okay. So, yes. So my number three is uh, uh, Nomadland uh, by Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao? Chloe Zhao. Sorry. Um, she previously directed The Writer, which I didn't see. Um, and she is also um, directing uh, The Eternals um, for Marvel. But Nomadland, um, it is... I said, but like this year, um, was phenomenal for, um, female performers in particular, like movies that uh, I, that we haven't discussed or I haven't mentioned, like, uh, in particular, like, uh, never rarely, sometimes always. And the assistant are both incredible, just performance driven movies. And Nomadland is just, it is, it is heartbreaking and, and heart wrenching, um, and Frances McDormand is just like insanely good in it. Um, it's about a woman in her sixties embarks on a journey through the Western United States after losing everything in the great recession, uh, living as a van dwelling modern day nomad. And the reason I, I bring up the plot and everything is that this movie communicates in such a, such a, a, kind of a free spirited kind of way. Like if I, if I, if I understand it correctly, I think Francis McDormand basically worked and, and lived like lived this lifestyle. And they just like, she, like there's a scene where she's working in like a, a store, like a grocery store. And she's like actually doing like the deli counter and stuff or packaging stuff. And like, I saw a comment or something saying like, Oh, it's, just imagine like someone buying a buying a, a sandwich and it's like oh this was packaged by Francis McDormand but um the kind of heart heartbreaking part of this movie is that it is all about Francis McDormand's character and the loss that she suffered and it's not just like the physical loss that she's had but it's also this loss of um community like she no longer has like a community she's like she's just not a part of a community anymore i won't say why because i mean it says it in the opening of the movie but the entire movie is kind of contingent or built around her nomadic life and the way that she is trying to find connection between people as well as like trying to find a new tribe and a new like her people and like her like a community because she has suffered so much and like that is something that just I don't know the depiction of that and the way that it's the the way that it's um told the story's told and especially through the, her performance just really really resonated with me in a big way. So that's my number 3, Nomadland. Um really fantastic. Nice, that's another one I missed, but want to see. Yeah. Uh recommend it. Yep. Uh, all right, we're at our top 2, Mike. Here we yes. go. Right. So my top two tiny is Sound of Metal. Nice. Nice. Yeah, this one, um, it kind of was a total package for me. 
strong message, amazing performance from Riz Ahmed, uh, the sound design, like Tiny already mentioned, but also, and this really goes a long way, when you watch 283 movies um, and you watch a lot of bad horror movies, um, like compelling movies go a long way, like entertaining movies really go a long way. Um, and it's why in most years, they're heavily weighted toward blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I, you know, I'm a fan of film and um, I like hard to find movies. I also like easy to watch entertaining movies and sound of metal. I just found really easy to watch and entertaining um, and really sad, but also beautiful. Um, I connected not that I'm a recovering addict, but um, for a while I considered myself straight edge. Mm. I mean, I, I guess I still am. I just don't, you know, I don't wear the t-shirt or whatever. Mm. So when the movie started and he had like the straight edge tattoos, um, so I, I was able to connect with that a little bit more. So um, I love that, the idea of losing something that important to you. I mean, obviously your, your sense of hearing is important to you, but like that it's his job and that music is his life is so important. Um, and the way his relationship, um, is handled on the back half of the movie, which I don't want to spoil in case Mm. anybody hasn't seen the movie is so beautiful to me. Uh, and then that last shot, like you said, tiny, um, was probably my favorite scene from a movie this year. Uh, and I, I and I weighed it so heavily, which is why this is my number two of the year, because that that ending was so beautiful and so perfect for that kind of a movie. Um, and I, I like to tell my students when a movie ends and they're like, well, what happens? We want to know what happens. <laughs> um, my answer to them is like, it doesn't matter. You just watched the most interesting thing that has ever happened to this person. Mm. And so I like the thought of he's just going to like live a normal life, not normal, Mm. you know, but he's just going to live his life. And we got to see him realize that it's just great. It's so beautiful. Nice. Nice. Well said. said. Yeah. I really need to revisit that. I, I, I really liked it. And Riz Ahmed, just incredible. Um, he asked yeah. eyes. Yes. Do you notice that? Like he's he's such an eye actor. Like is is like so obviously speaking lines, but like the way he acts with his face is so impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You know when he's like frustrated because he can't hear, mm-hmm. his eyes go dead, and then when he's interested, his eyes like bug out a little bit. He's so he's so interesting to watch. Absolutely. His body language too. I feel like early on the first first third and then the first or then the second third of the movie, he's very jumpy and edgy and by the end he's calmed down so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Nice. Uh Tiny, your number two. My number two is The Five Bloods from Spike Lee. Nice. Uh real I really liked this movie a lot, and I think what's interesting is the plot is so derivative um we didn't talk about this on the podcast but i think i brought it up briefly in a patreon episode i think so yeah yeah but um it's so the plot is derivative which i sort of knew that going in and i sort of had a 
had a chip on my shoulder as a viewer in regards to that going into the movie. So I was sort of primed to be, to, to see this as a Spike Lee entry that I wasn't really going to dig that much, mm-hmm. but completely the complete opposite happened. Thankfully, um, the characters are just so damn good in this movie. I just absolutely adore the characters. Um, most notably Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Actor or uh, Oscar nomination has to, has to get one. He was so mm-hmm. freaking crazy and awesome in this movie. Um, Chadwick Boseman in one of his last performances, yeah. always a pleasure and a joy to watch. Um, and it's, it, it's funny cause he was the youngest actor of the four main characters in the movie, but he was really the leader amongst these really seasoned actors who have a lot of experience and emotion under their belts. And he, he was able to shine despite all that, which was really incredible. So, um, that, that's absolutely of note with the movie, but, um, yeah, just the, again, the, the, the plot sort of takes a backseat to how close these guys are because of what they went through. And, and just, they, they haven't seen each other in years, but they fall back into these, uh, this deep friendship with one another. It's really incredible and beautiful. Um, it's, it's really, it's really a cool movie. And, and I think, um, I don't think enough people saw it. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, which is a shame because it's not, it's been on Netflix, um, from the get go and people can go watch it. So I, I hope a lot more people see it and start talking about it because I think it's, I think um, Black Klansman is a slightly better movie, mm-hmm. but not not much. This this is a really great entry from from Spike Lee. With, with my relationship with him, it's usually like he puts out a, a a good one or a great one that I really like, and then the next mm-hmm. one I'm just like I can't connect with it or I don't really enjoy it. But yeah. he's had two in a row that are awesome. Nice, yeah. I I liked the Five Bloods, but it just didn't make the cut for me. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Mike, did you see it? I did not. It's on my want-to-see list. Gotcha. All right, so my number two is Palm Springs. Um, Nice. Yes, just a freaking delight of a movie. I mean... It's it's compelling and entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Like, And you mentioned the chemistry between Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. Just electric. Absolutely electric. And... This movie, it, 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 it just really, uh, stuck with me. Like, I, I was just so, I'm, like, I'm predisposed to like this type of movie. It's a romantic comedy with a science fiction element of time travel, uh, or at least a time loop. And as tired as that concept could be, um, it is still a fresh take on it. Like, I remember watching the movie and then, I I don't know why I didn't know that they were both slight spoilers that they're both stuck in the time loop. Um but like I was watching it and then like when he goes into the cave um and then it starts the next day or whatever I'm just like oh that you know that would be cool if they do one of these movies where like two people are in the same time loop or whatever. Um like that would be cool and then it happens and I'm like okay I'm on board like this is fantastic. Um, there's a montage early on in the movie that just kind of shows a time lapse of them, uh, doing their time loop stuff, um, and everything that I was just floored by. Cause like, that's the most, 
I mean, it just shows how compatible they are and how just strong their chemistry is. And I just, I love the movie. It is, it is such a delight. And uh, I will be rewatching it uh, several times in the future, I'm sure. It'll be another Knives Out. When I texted you and said, I just, I love when a movie takes care of you. Yes, yes. And I actually tweeted um, when I was, when I was sick with COVID and I was listening to Stephen King audiobooks. Um, I tweeted a screenshot of that because you hit the nail on the head. Like that idea of like going into a movie and like just knowing that you're going to be taken care of as an audience member of it. Like that's the feeling I had when I like was listening to um, a Stephen King short story while I was sick with COVID. And I was just like, oh, this is that. But yeah, I, uh, I, I adore it. I like movies that are difficult. I, like I'm thinking of ending things doesn't, like it wants you at arm's length. It, right. it doesn't care if you get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's art. But yeah. Palm Springs is just like, just like wants to be your best friend. It's like a happy Absolutely. dog. Yes. It's like <laughs> sit here. You are about to be entertained. And uh, we've talked about that. We talked about this on the pod chat and everything. But Andy Samberg just seems like just the most like the coolest, like not even necessarily the coolest guy, but he just seems like, like I want to be his friend. Like he just seems like so just genuinely cool. Is that while he takes comedy very seriously, he's Mm -hmm. not like a super jokey guy. Mm. Like in person, apparently he's kind of a serious dude. Nice. He's very humble too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like there's, there's a pop star song where it's like i'm so humble and there it's a whole thing anyway yeah i forgot about that yeah so that's my number two palm springs and uh see that one oh yeah that's right yeah um okay so before we get to our number ones um just real quick mike you're gonna read ben's top 10 uh ben is of course our recurring co-host and contributing reviewer on the website so take it away mike with ben's top 10 Okay, so these are Ben's top 10 movies of 2020. Number 10, David Byrne's American Utopia. Number 9, The Swerve. Number 8, Wolf Walkers. Number 7, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Number 6, we've heard this one already, De Five Bloods. Number 5, Small Axe, Lover's Rock. Number 4, Boy's State. Number three, another recurring movie on this episode, The Vast of Night. And number one is a tie between First Cow and The Assistant. That's Ben's top ten of the year. Nice. Nice. All right. So let's get into our number one movies of 2020. Uh, Mike, uh, why don't you regale us with your number one movie of 2020? Number one. Oh, it was number one the first time I saw it and it, and it, I don't think it ever budged. Now the caveat of course is that it was 2020 and I'm not sure this would even be on my top 10 of 2019. So there's that. And I also know that Matt was not a super huge fan of this movie, which that's fine. So I feel weirdly apologetic about this, but I gotta tell you, I watched it twice this year. Well, last year. And both time, the second time it held up just fine. It was really entertaining. I watched it with my in-laws and my wife, and it's Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. 
it's definitely a number one for me. It was the most fun I had watching a new movie this year, especially in theaters. Um, this the scenes I won't spoil, but there's the there's kind of the big shocker scene that if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, which is just yes. I rarely I am rarely surprised and shocked at a movie, and that got me. I jumped, and I am not a jumper, um, and it and it totally worked. Also, I mean, you could put Elizabeth Moss in anything, and she's excellent. But watching just kind of the physical acting she has to do in this movie is great. Um, it's it it's trying to be that age It's not. I think people who didn't like it kind of compare it to like a Jordan Peele type prestige horror type movie, yeah. and it's not. It's really a sci-fi popcorn horror with a little like cranked up the um what's the word i'm looking for i don't know the prestige mm -hmm. is cranked up a notch um i really loved lee wanell's upgrade uh and so i was super excited to see what he would do with kind of a a, a classic universal monster mm -hmm. type of thing and the the gaslighting theme while is super overt and super important, I, I don't mean to be dismissive of that at all. I'm, I'm, you know, that's a it's a topic that matters a lot to me. Um, I don't know that that is the only thing that's great about this movie. I think you can like dismiss this movie as like, yeah, it hits you over the head with the gaslighting theme. It does that a little bit, but it's still so interesting and so compelling and so fun to watch what they do. Um, and how they kind of modernize that uh, old uh, studio era, Universal Studios, uh, Invisible Man type of monster. So mm -hmm. it was definitely the most fun I had. Elizabeth Moth is, Moss is so great. Uh, and I would watch literally anything Lee Wan L does. So mm -hmm. The Invisible Man is my number one. Um, to your point, I, I watched it in the theater at the beginning of the year, I wrote a review of it where I wasn't too hot on it, but I did revisit it back in like September. And, uh, my, that's one of those movies that my opinion just 180. Like I, I was really into it on that second viewing. Oh, cool. yeah. good. Yeah. I probably should have put it in my top 10 to be honest, but, um, yeah. it's definitely an honorable mention. I, it's something I'll, I'll revisit at some point. And I'm just, I'm really hopeful that they, do more uh, Universal Monsters and do like that Blumhouse kind of thing um, with it yeah. because I'm I'm a fan of the old school ones so um, yeah so cool nice I haven't said anything because uh, my number one is Leah Wanell's The Invisible Man no shit <laughs> <laughs> yep that's awesome <laughs> uh, man I had to echo so much of what Mike said because I was gonna say this is the most fun I had watching a movie the whole year. Wow. I it was so thrilling. I was yeah, being a cliche viewer like yelling at the screen like oh god, don't do that, you know. Um and this is I, I mentioned the disturbing stat at the beginning of the episode where I only one movie of my top 10 uh. I watched with someone else and this was that movie. I watched it with huh. my wife. Wow. And she is very the scariest thing in the world to her is like a peeping Tom mm. leer leering person through a window that scares the shit out of her. And so if you take that, that dynamic and make that person invisible, it's even scarier. So she was 
jumping out of her seat. It was mm. so much fun watching it with her. <laughs> I loved it for that. But um, to, to, to bring up the, the gaslighting theme, I think while it was very present and prevalent, I feel like it didn't detract from the incredible thrills and the jumps it it was it was there in spite of it was it was there in spite of all that it it was just we weaved in very well amongst a uh really incredible horror movie uh and and i i think it's really more thriller than anything because mm. and and i feel that way because elizabeth moss her performance and that character is so capable she 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 never fully gives into the idea that she's crazy and she, that she, she you oh. know this is happening to her this is not she's not going crazy and she once she the scary moment that mike was talking about the big the big reveal scary jump moment that was so freaking cool yeah. um is such great comeuppance for her and and and, and she, after that moment i just can't take my eyes off elizabeth moss she's so good um and and this is a it's interesting how classic of a movie this is, but it's updated so well for uh, the 2020 world. You know, all mm-hmm. the all the technology is in this movie, and there's no. It's a technological movie, right? It's it's really interesting how so many Universal monster updates don't go very well and don't nah. don't translate as well to a modern audience. But Lee Wannell just crushed it with this just absolutely nailed it and uh i i can't wait to watch it again we, i've still only watched it the one time but hmm. it's it was such a freaking great movie i loved nice. it the second time and it it made me miss theaters because uh, watching it with my wife and her parents um and they're good movie watchers like they they kind of react and uh that scene we've mentioned now mm-hmm. a couple times was awesome it was awesome to watch with them I would have loved nice. to see it in the theater. Yeah, uh, it was good. Yeah. Just that, like I, I've said like literally a draw, a jaw dropping moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like literal jaw dropped from my mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just uh, really spectacular. So yeah. Nice. All right. Shall I round us out with my number one movie of 2020? Yes, sir. All right. Let's, let's close out 2020's, dumpster fire of a year with my number one movie of 2020 which was uh hang on <laughs> i'm thinking of ending things charlie kaufman's uh movie yes uh <laughs> oh wow okay um, awesome yeah so i i'm thinking of ending things i i haven't i've only seen it the once like tiny with with uh his number one um but it had for me such a distinct i was very pleasantly surprised by it because i wasn't a fan of charlie kaufman's uh, anomalisa i i thought that that was just not it didn't i i didn't connect with it at all and then previous to watching i'm thinking of any things i revisited eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which of course was written by charlie kaufman and i just i didn't connect with that at all either it was one of my favorite movies and then i just rewatching it now is just like not too into it. So when I saw that one again, yeah. So when I saw I'm thinking of ending things, I I was kind of not sure what to expect, but I just think the 
the visual like storytelling of it through the different locations like the, so much of it takes place in this claustrophobic car that with snow like falling all around it and it, you just get this sense of just entrapment in this relationship and what it does that really just really uh came home to me or, or really uh hit home for me was the way that it it plays with not necessarily plays with time, but it does this thing where it is, it showcases to us, it shows us these different iterations of this different stage, these different stages of several different relationships. Like, uh, the whole premise at the outset is that Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons are in a relationship and they're going to Jesse Plemons' parents' house <coughs> and Jesse Buckley is thinking of ending things with him. But what they do, what happens when they get there is it, it just devolves into this, or it, it, it changes into this very weird, um, uh, atmospheric, um, kind of, uh, 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 prosaic look at human relationships of all kinds. And like, I just, I was really struck by that because it, co it's, it covers such a wide swath. Like, even with the parents who, like, both of the both of the parents in it. Um. Uh. uh oh my God. God damn it. <coughs> ah, sorry. Tony Collette and David Thewlis. Uh, they like their performances are just out of this world incredible to me in this movie. And I will say that uh, it kind of loses its grip with me. Um, toward the end of the movie, but the majority of the movie and the way that it 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 plays with the tropes of like horror and, and, and this unease that's, that's, uh, that happens because it's covering such a wide gamut of different, um, experiences and different types of relationships and kind of getting to the core of like just human interaction at some points. It's just, it's a really deeply like rich movie, uh, for me. And, uh, and I was just really, in love with the storytelling style of it. I was very impressed by it. So that's my number one movie. I'm thinking of ending things. Nice. Whew. We did it. We yeah, did it. We did it. Um, so, okay, we've run way over our time. <laughs> um, what is our, our certified obsessive viewer? Oh, shit. I don't know that we have one. We don't. I literally think it brings. Yeah. No, Tiny didn't see brings. Yeah, but we don't have one. I mm -hmm. think it would have made it if I'd seen it. <laughs> um, maybe I'm fine with Palm Springs. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll do Palm Springs. Yeah, right. um, Palm Springs is yes. the viewer movie of the year. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, metal not on yours. Your top ten, Matt. What'd you say? Sound of Metal is not on your top no, ten. It's, no, it's not. Um. Yeah. And I had a slight panic attack when you said our collective one because I, I just realized like we do like the idea is to do a top ten and I'm like well we don't have time uh, so Palm Springs number one of 2020 as per the obsessive viewer podcast um, yeah so that's it we did it um, I am going to, this isn't the end of the episode because I'm going to record a separate thing that I'm going to tack on at the end that has stats for the podcast and all that nerdy shit um, so you guys can <laughs> so I'm I'm not 
holding Mike and Tiny hostage with that. But uh, <laughs> I just want to say to the listeners and to, to, to you guys and to like the recurring co-hosts uh, uh, who are, I'm sure, listening intently as well, um, thank you for listening to the podcast and for, uh, for interacting with us and taking the time to, to you know, uh, let us be a part of your life, especially in a year as fraught with just insurmountable, surmountable eventually. Yeah. Fraught with such tension and horror and, and shittiness as 2020 was. It's just, it's really nice that we have this, that we not only have this platform to, um, express our, um, opinions and feelings on, on the things that we love, but also that we have people that are like, fans and listen to us that is such a treat and so i just want to say to everyone listening i we appreciate you 100 percent. yeah definitely yeah. thank you guys for listening yeah. uh as always make sure you tweet at us with your top tens if you yes. don't have a top 10 because i don't know that a lot of people did mm-hmm. hit us with your top three uh and if we if you saw a movie that we didn't mention, uh, please feel free to tweet at us and give us your yes. recommendations. We we want to see everything. Yes. And uh, as, as I said before, I'm going to add something to the end of this, just stats and everything, but I'm going to separate it with a clip from Mike's band. Uh, so, Mike, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find uh, As Good As It Gets and uh, uh, your uh, – that's my brother, right? That's my brother. That's, That's my, brother. my brother is on YouTube. We have three episodes up already. Uh, you can check that out. And then, uh, yeah, so the band is as good as it gets. <clears throat> the song that you're going to hear at the end is called Apathy is the key to success. If you ask me, it's just a short clip. If you want the whole thing, you got to sign up for Patreon. And it is the January exclusive song uh, for the month. Sweet. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash as good as it gets. Sweet. And Tiny, any parting thoughts on 2020? Um, let's get on to 2021. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned for some stats breaks, breaking down and um, <coughs> a clip from Mike's band. So uh, thank you guys and we'll see you next time. Today I woke up at 2 p.m. Sat around till and then got dressed up to sit alone Maybe I'll just watch the phone But I know no one's gonna call I know no one cares at all I say that's just fine by me Cause I'm still drunk on apathy So I'm here with some podcast stats and everything for the year. But first, just want to reiterate that if you want to support Mike on his Patreon, go to patreon.com slash as good as it gets. Um, yeah, please, please do, because he puts in a lot of work for that. And um, I, I I really want him to keep making music. So uh, patreon.com slash as good as it gets. And OK, so I'm going to just kind of round out the episode um, with a breakdown of some stats that I have and everything. So, um, 
before I get to the actual podcast stats, well, I, I basically what I do is I keep a um, a running log of like all of the quote unquote film journalism I do throughout the year. So you can find an archive of all of that per year at uh, obsessiveviewer.com slash, uh, I think it's Matt Hurt 2020. Um, so basically, throughout the year of 2020, I wrote a total number of 54 um, pieces, essays, reviews, what have you, um, that's compared to 24 um pieces in in 2019 so 20 uh, 2020 was a big year um of those 54 um 53 of them were for obsessiveviewer.com obviously uh the one that wasn't was a guest piece that i wrote for uh, midwest film journal there are no uh there are no sleep october series i did a um an essay about the mist and uh, the 53 that I did for ObsessiveViewer.com breaks down as follows. Um, wide releases, I reviewed 26 movies. Uh, film festivals, I wrote 7 reviews for. And I wrote 20 reviews for movies that were non-new releases. So I started a couple of um, review series that I really need to get back to. Um, and I will eventually, but yeah. So overall, 54 written pieces of of film criticism on the internet in 2020. I'm very happy with that. So hopefully I can do more in 2021. Um, and now let's get into the podcast stats. So I, throughout all three podcasts, I released 58 episodes. Um, it breaks down as follows. So obsessive viewer released 26 episodes in 2020 anthology released 16 episodes in 2020 and tower junkies also released, uh, 16 episodes in 2020. So that's a total of, uh, as I said before, 58 episodes. I also made one guest appearance on Spark of Madness podcast in 2020, reviewing Blast from the Past. So all told, I contributed 113 pieces of digital and um, uh, written content about film criticism and movies and TV shows on the internet, um, which actually matches the exact amount that I did in 2019, 2019, I did 113 as well. So anyway, more nerdy podcast stats. Um, obsessive viewer, as I said, had a total of, uh, 26 episodes in 2020 that breaks down as, uh, in terms of audio content, we released on obsessive viewer podcast, a total of one day, 23 hours and eight minutes worth of audio. Uh, the longest episode, and that's not including the year in review episode, which obviously is the longest episode of the year, uh, but the longest episode, not including the year in review, was episode 329. That was mine and Mike's Friday the 13th franchise retrospective episode. That was two hours and 39 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, the shortest episode was um, OV312, which was one of my COVID-19 film festival um, episodes. Um yeah, so so that that's cool. Um, Anthology, like I said, had 16 episodes in 2020 that I released a total of 18 hours and 20 minutes worth of content on Anthology. The longest episode of that was the first episode of my Season 2 of the Twilight Zone reboot review. So that was bonus episode 41, Meet in the Middle. That was an hour and 42 minutes. I'm kind of surprised I talked that long on a solo podcast. No, I'm not really surprised. I do that a lot. Um, shortest episode of that was actually episode bonus episode 40 of Anthology, Rachel Jack and Ashley 2, which was the last episode of the my review of Black Mirror's new season in 2020. That episode ran for 46 minutes and 48 seconds. 
And so uh, then uh, <laughs> Tower Junkies. And so Tower Junkies, rounding out the podcasts, Tower Junkies had uh, 16 episodes as well. We released 20 hours and 58 minutes worth of content on Tower Junkies. The longest episode was episode 43, which was our first episode reviewing Castle Rock Season 2. That episode ran for 1 hour and 49 minutes. And the shortest episode was episode 38, the episode where Tiny and I reviewed The Shining 1997 miniseries. That ran for 47 minutes and 17 seconds. So all told, throughout all three podcasts from Obsessive Viewer Podcasts, we released a total of, uh, like I said, 58 episodes with a grand total of three days, 14 hours, and 27 minutes worth of audio. So thank you guys so much for listening to all of that. Um, and I also broke down a couple of other things. So Tiny uh, was on a total of 24 podca- uh, podcast episodes throughout the year. So he was on 14 episodes of Tower Junkies. Uh, nine episodes of Obsessive Viewer and one episode of Anthology. And Mike was on a total of six episodes throughout the year. Uh, that was five episodes of Obsessive Viewer and one episode of Tower Junkies. Um, Fekus, surprisingly, I didn't realize this. Fekus only made one appearance on the podcast um, this year. So we'll have to rectify that. I think part of that is obviously um, COVID, but also throughout most of last year, he was working uh, nights. So that made, uh, logistics a little hard to work out. Uh, Kirsten appeared on three episodes of the podcast and then rounding out the recurring co-host is Ben with nine episodes. He made nine appearances on obsessive viewer. Um, so that's super awesome. I'm looking forward to having more, uh, more of the recurring co-hosts on the show. And okay, so yeah, that is it for podcast stats, but I do want to talk about Patreon stats and then, and then, uh, I'll let you guys go. Um, so, uh, once again, obviously, if you, if you can afford it, if you have money to spare and you want to support the show financially, um, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. We have reworked the tiers in the past few months. So basically, there are, uh, $1 and $2 tiers where you get access to B-roll audio episodes. That's the stuff that we play at the end of each episode and that we have, uh, we play clips of at the end of each episode and we just kind of use it as kind of just a relaxing, casual conversation. Um, and in 2020, oh wait, I'll start over. Um, <laughs> and then at the $5 level, you get access to, to those B-roll episodes as well as commentary tracks um, and video logs, um, whenever they come up, um, that's at $5. And then at $10, you get access to, uh, all of that plus early access to episodes and unreleased episodes, um, of, uh, across all podcasts. So basically anytime I edit an episode, I will load it up onto Patreon and then schedule it to post on the main feed. So, um, a breakdown of the Patreon exclusive content in 2020 is as follows. <laughs> The B-roll audio episodes at the $1 and $2 levels um, break down as follows. Uh, Obsessive Viewer had 22 um, B-roll episodes. Uh, Anthology had 11. And Tower Junkies had 15 for a total number of 48 um, Patreon-exclusive B-roll episodes. And then commentary tracks and videos at the $5 level, we had two vlogs, which usually the, the vlogs are stuff that, you know, like me and Kirsten would do after we see a movie in the theater um, but obviously we didn't see movies in theaters in 2020, so we only did two vlogs. And then, uh, two commentary tracks in 2020. So that's four at the, four 
pieces of content in 2020 for the $5 level of commentary tracks and videos. And finally, early access and uh, unreleased episodes at ten, at the $10 level. Um, we revamped this a little bit late in the year, so that's why these numbers are low. But Obsessive Viewer had one um, early access episode. Anthology had six early access slash unreleased episodes. And Tower Junkies had four early access slash unreleased episodes. So that was a total uh, of 11 um, pieces of content for the $10 level at uh, in 2020. And so that's total Patreon content released in 2020 was 63 pieces of content. Um, yeah, so that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And just real quick, in 2020, the B-roll audio at the $1 and $2 tiers released in 2020 amounted to one day and 40 minutes worth of audio. Commentary tracks um, amounted to three hours and 29 minutes. And unreleased... Uh, content was three hours and three minutes worth of um, audio. So on Patreon, we released a total of one day, seven hours and 12 minutes of content. So um, <laughs> I know that you guys were super excited for me to go on to that tangent three hours into our year in review episode. And I want to thank you so much for indulging me on that. And also thank you so much for supporting um, really everything that we do. It's this year was, I, I know I said this in the, in the episode, but this year, this year in 2020 was particularly rough on a lot of like on everyone. And that's, I mean, it, it was tough on mental health all, all like around the horn. Um, like I struggled a lot in 2020 with a variety of things. And, um, I really found a lot of good comfort in creating podcasts and doing the whole podcast thing. So thank you so much for supporting us and giving me validation for all the work that, um, I put into this silly show and silly series of shows where I just get to talk to my friends about the things that we love. So, um, yeah, that'll do it. That's our year in review episode. Um, fuck off 2020. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I really, I sincerely hope that everyone listening to this has a great and safe and productive and, and, you know, healthy 2021. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, posting more podcast content for you guys. So once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for supporting us and I'll see you next time. Oh, next time, by the way, um, the next episode is going to be Ben and I are going to be continuing our, um, Roger Ebert's great movies list, uh, review, um, series. Uh, that episode is actually already up on Patreon right now, but it, it will be posting on this feed on January 31st at midnight. So, um, yeah. And then after that, Mike and I are going to be reviewing, um, the vigil and shifter. Um, excited about that. That'll be later in February. So yeah, uh, it's going to be a good year. I think hopefully, um, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, I'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. <laughs> because if you yeah. set Power Rangers in Ohio, it's a completely different show. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. VR Troopers was such a, like, unabashedly... It's no secret that it was like a, a ripoff of Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. So much so that like when 
the Green Ranger, Tommy, Jason David Frank, left the show, they like pitched like when he took like when they turned him good after breaking Rita's spell and he like then went away later after joining the team Mm -hmm. before he came back as the white Ranger, they were like, we're going to develop a show for you called VR troopers. Will you be the head trooper? Oh, wow. And uh, they ended up bringing Tommy back as the white Ranger instead. I had no idea that that was the case. I don't even know what Mm -hmm. VR troopers is. I don't even know (laughs) what. Yeah. And I completely, I don't even know. I don't get that reference. You must have went outside as a kid. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we're here in the new year. So happy 2021, everyone. Um, the Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a Fekus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!